Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. A late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. That every time we dive in, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like. Hey, cats and kids. Welcome to another episode of The Debrief. I'm your host, Brianna Joy Gray. And today, as always, we're talking about what's ever on your mind, but today's Bad Faith uh, was an interview with a reporter from Puck who covers billionaires and how they affect our world. And today's episode was about the most notorious billionaire of the month, at least, Sam Bankman-Fried, whose cryptocurrency exchange FTX crashed and burned in spectacular fashion when it became clear that he was borrowing from it from his hedge fund. And uh, unsurprisingly, for those who wonder how anybody has the confidence to invest in an unregulated industry, but apparently quite surprising to quite a few people who lost a great deal of money. Um, he's been doing a media blitz uh, for some reason, I, maybe against the advice of counsel if you trust him, but maybe there's some master plan that we're just not all <clears throat> aware of. At any rate, last week he did this big deal book interview at New York, the New York Times, which we covered uh, and put a, and include a lot of clips from on the episode. If you haven't listened to that, you can check it out at patreon.com slash badfaithpodcast. And as always, there's about 30 minutes available at Bad Faith YouTube for you to pursue. I also know that last week's conversation about the railroad strike is still very much percolating on the Internet. I saw that Ryan Grimm visited uh, RBN today. I wasn't able to catch all of that. I saw the last few minutes of it. I hope that that was Fruitful. It seemed from watching the end of it that it was, um, but the floor is open to you. So Clifford, what's on your mind tonight? Can you mute yourself, Clifford? Hello, Clifford, can you unmute yourself? Is the app being buggy? Or, or has Clifford got, like, the confidence of a thousand sons where he's first in line, but he's like, no, I'm going to go to the bathroom anyway. What's going on, Cliff? All right. 
I am going to try Isaac and Clifford get back in the queue and I will pull you up next. Hello. Hey, Isaac. All right. So I guess maybe it's user error. We'll see. What's on your mind tonight? Uh, not a whole lot. He, he actually just posted in the chat as N fossil fuels, I think. Clifford did? Yeah, I think so. And he says it won't let me unmute it. <clears throat> okay, try again, Clifford, and I'll pull you up from the back. But what's in your mind tonight, Isaac? Um, so first, just a silly aside, uh, Realheads know that the CIA released a new episode of its podcast on, I think, Saturday. <laughs> Is it still going? Yeah, yeah. I, I I didn't know about it, and like everything that I've found about it is it's like, is it still happening? And yeah, they released one on Saturday. I listened to the first episode for research purposes and like with a plan to make fun of it, and it was just so boring, like I couldn't even make fun of it. So, it, what number? How many have they put out? Uh, that was five, and I I haven't listened to any of the other ones. I just I just searched it just to see what it would be like and they happened to have an episode up did you listen yes and that's the things that i'm bringing to the ta table right <laughs> okay. now. <clears throat> okay so what, what did they talk about they talked oh man it was it was really horrible the whole thing they talked about the artifacts that they have from like the years of doing stuff and how they're like yeah the history of the cia you know 20 years ago even 50 even 70 years artifacts, ago artifacts like 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 uh illegally uh, obtained tape recordings of martin luther king's phone calls like what what artifacts are they talking about that yes yes stuff like that but of course those wouldn't be out there and the weird thing is the museum isn't even open to the public but it's like a hall where people who work for the CIA can just go and like revisit the glorious past of the CIA. It's bizarre. Wait, this episode is literally called the greatest museum you'll never see the Langley yep. files, a top secret mission to the bottom of the Pacific ocean, a legendary CIA officer who postponed retirement to lead the agency's response to nine 11 an entire building turned into a listening post. Listening post is one way to put it. Surveillance tower. Where you can find artifacts from these chapters of hidden history and many more. The museum at the heart of CIA headquarters. Since this museum is not open to the general public in this episode of the Langley Files, Dee and Walter catch up with the museum's director and deputy director for a behind-the-scenes tour. Podcast style. Asterix, nothing in this podcast should be construed to be an endorsement by the CIA or the U.S. government of any particular company, product, or service. Yeah, and the tour sucked. So what, name, name an artifact. Do, uh, do you remember any? Ooh, well, so they have them all actually posted online. And you can just go to like CIA.gov slash whatever, and you can go through the entire list of them. I scrolled through a few they have like maybe a hundred of them that you could look at um yeah it was all little things from like missions quote unquote and the the thing that i found the worst about it is they actually spent a lot of the time 
<clears throat> talking about the uh, successes of the infiltration of Iraq and just like how the CIA went about, you know, bringing democracy over there. Mm. It's really disgusting. Okay. Um, okay. They've got a $20 gold coin minted in 1858. Okay. Whatever. They've got a 9-11 commendation bar. You know, like, okay, whatever. A psychological analysis of Adolf Hitler by Walter Langer. Is that one of the co-hosts, Walter? Or is it just a different Walter? Uh, Walter sound, he sounded pretty young. Okay, so probably a different Walter. Lots of Walters over at Langley. They've got A12, an A12 pressure suit, like a flight suit and helmet. And... and, and and add like a just like a more army outfits or CAA outfits. I don't know outfits like uniforms. Uniforms <laughs> are what I'm looking for. I'm sorry. They've got a saddle from Afghanistan. They've got a hat from Afghanistan. See, and they have that stuff because they were there in uh, civilian attire, so that they would be less noticeable. Yeah, they, they've got just like American <laughs> flag. Just an it just American says flag. American flag. Like you could get That's it cool. at Walmart. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Sorry, I clicked through. This flag flew over U.S. base in Baghdad on 13 December 2003, the day coalition forces captured, dis- deposed Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein. Gotta say, this museum not being open to the public is not one of the world's greatest crimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it, it fully sucks. Um, every, every part of it, and just like the lib shit that they talked about, like that the whole podcast you listened. It's just like an NPR podcast. Yeah, but like worse because it's it, it, not even trying worse. to be interesting, and they that's all of this wink, wink, nod, nod. We can't actually say the thing, so it's right. like weirdly anti-informative. Uh, yeah, it's it's strictly misinformative (laughs) but but like the the things that i got from it um first i found out they have a youtube channel and you will never guess the name of it what is it called i need one guess (laughs) cia's youtube channel Mm, we're watching I mean that'd be good, but no, it's it's much better. It's called the debrief. No, <laughs> I'm so tired of everybody doing this. There's a there's a rising show called the debrief with like the the um, the editor in chief of the network, and it irritates the heck out of me. I mean, at least it's only on YouTube, so no one's gonna like look for you elsewhere <laughs> and just stumble upon the CIA by accident. All right. Okay. All right. Um, well, tell me this, Isaac. What what provoked you to actually listen to today's episode? To today. Wait. Can I tell you the other thing? Yeah, that please. They have there. They they also just recently installed a statue of Harriet Tubman. Last which I I, I just found there? so deeply disrespectful. But you know, Who that's cool. Who is that for? uh, So here's the thing. They co-opted it and were like, Harriet Tubman, like doing the Underground Railroad was like 
the ideal person doing espionage. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I am not joking. They, you can, like, find an article on it on their website. Apparently it came Are out, you... like, two or three months ago. <sighs> yeah, it's bad. <laughs> okay. That is nuts. That is yeah. nuts. So, so all the CIA people going down that stupid hallway will see Harriet Tubman and, I guess, be inspired. And it, it also goes with, have you seen the, uh, like, the woke commercials that they put out for hiring people? Yeah, I've, I've seen some of those. Like, I have uh, ADHD or whatever, you know, some kind of very common psychological thing going on and I still work for the CIA and I also am a woman and you know have a bunch of identities yeah yeah there, and, there's and a lot of carrying on of that it's and therefore it's good now substantively what I'm doing yeah I I've yeah. seen that well look I I gotta say really um heroic heroic shit uh enduring that Isaac and we will have to follow up. I, I had decided that the first episode I listened to was too boring to even really make fun of, but there might be something worthy of a little, if not a, no. if not like a no. segment, uh, an illusion uh, in a in a radar or something like that. So, thanks for I, calling I, I would in say, with that. Yeah, don't don't listen to any more of it. It's terrible, but keep the faith. <laughs> keep the faith, Isaac. All, All right, right, let's try and see if we can get Clifford's thing to work now. How are you doing, Clifford? Clifford! Cliff! What's happening here? Okay, we'll try again. Maybe third time's a charm. What's up with you, Sylvester? Oh, no, is it... Is it... No, nah, I just had oh, no, no, just I this building it. anticipation. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> but it's funny because I don't even really got a lot to say today. Um, but I will say this: if there's one thing I'm gonna say today, is that I like Ryan Grimm and I like his hair. Um, <laughs> feel like he gets a lot of undue flack for that. I heard that conversation on RBN, and mm -hmm. uh, it was. One, I think it, it highlighted <laughs> just how, like, you know, uh, just how not real Twitter is because there was certain language that was going back and forth on mm -hmm. Twitter. And then, like, when people actually were talking, not face-to-face, -face, but, like, they could see each other talking, that same energy wasn't there. And then, like, folks could actually have a nuanced conversation, mm -hmm. and it was productive mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of See, funny it happens like that right mm -hmm. so what what was i saw i think i saw a little bit of a tweet somebody said that ryan had said that they tweeted for um what do you call it callers when you give money on the thing for tips they were basically the accusation was that rbn was like ginning up you know talking points in order to appease an audience that would pay them tips on youtube something like that oh the super chats uh the super chats yeah and then I, I saw a little bit of that happening on the internet. Um, and I caught only the tail end of the conversation and it seemed very civil and like they were, they, they were appreciative of Ryan coming on and being willing to face his critics. And so I'm, I didn't see the beginning where some of those accusations were taken 
on head on. But I'm not surprised to hear that people, generally speaking, don't have the same smoke in real life as they do on the <laughs> internet, which is why I'm constantly trying to get people to agree to come on the show together. But you'd be surprised. Like every week, I have 10 master plans for amazing episodes that would squash beef and have people who are ideologically proposed, opposed to actually being able to hash out their differences and get to some kind of core truth. And inevitably, nobody wants to do it. Or like the more liberal side doesn't want to do it. Mm. generally speaking generally speaking yeah the, the more like liberal consensus side of it doesn't want to do it yeah because i mean yeah what originally because uh what's his name ryan had made like a clarification on something that was saying that like aoc was getting money from like amtrak and then he was kind of trying to just be like oh well you know it's like people saying amazon workers that donate to you know bernie sanders if like and then if media would come out and say Oh well, don't put out information so mm -hmm. you know, and then you can do with it what you want. And that's mm -hmm. like that's all you should look to Ryan to do. Ryan not leading no revolution or movement and like that. He's gonna put out information. So you know he said that, and then RBN kind of you know came in like, why are you trying to defend? Um, why are you trying to defend her? And I think that's when he responded and was like, Nah, I'm not. <laughs> you know, y'all are just doing stuff for super chat clicks, and then. Words were exchanged, and then he ended up coming on the thing, and Ryan said something. Uh, he agreed to a lot of what they was talking about on the mm -hmm. on the on the on the conversation about how like the uh, squad are ineffective leftist leaders, um, mm -hmm. and that he understands why folks are looking for. Uh, I might mess up her name, but Shama Sawant. Mm -hmm. Why he understands why folks are you know looking. Uh, for that and something that he said that I, I felt like was really important and was one of my favorite pieces. What he said is that like the left has a lot of like minded individuals and podcasts and YouTube shows and stuff like that. But there's no organized, you know, like members pay due that could get people out and like thousands of people out in the streets. You know, that could actually like really like force something, um, you know, to happen. And then, you know, Ryan was saying that and just and just in terms of just like, yo, uh, the left kind of has to get itself together a little bit and, you know, not be as surprised when things like what happened with the railroad, you know, workers uh, and that strike uh, and their demands getting just pushed to the side because there's no we don't have an opposition that's organized. Yeah, I mean, I do think there's something a little perverse about the fact that the the organizations that do exist, whether it's like DSA or unions, the likes of which, you know, are, they're fewer and farther between, but the railroad union is one of the most substantive and powerful with the big, the most, you know, legitimate threat, strike threat in terms of the damage it could cause. When for so long we're told well, the answer isn't, you know, Bernie or you can't be overinvest in the squad members. You have to look to organ organized unions and then the union falls through. And then <laughs> they say, you know, you have to look, you know, there's organizations like DSA invest in DSA and DSA, you know, DSA's attitude toward how it's DSA member um, squad members voted 
has been mixed. I know there's some kind of effort. They to... can't even hold them accountable. Like, exactly. they, like yeah, like, exactly. they don't have, yeah. So to turn around, this seems to be elected and they're beholden and then that fails you. It's like, I mean, okay, like, sure, but don't act like we haven't been pointing, you know, the same people who are now kind of saying it's got to be something else haven't been pointing to these exact institutions as where the real power lies, particularly when we're talking about unions. Mm. And, you know, with and the, the conversations about the distance between union leadership and rank and file and some of the capture that's happened now, I mean, it very rarely happens with people who are proximate to the unions themselves, I think, for reasons. You know, people still feel like they're working within institutions and they are not trying to start beef and, you know, they're trying to do what they can. But it, it, there's something a little like, I don't know, not especially straightforward and honest about the conversations that are being had about where the problems lie. Because maybe if they feel like it should be an in-group conversation, it's none of our business or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It, it, I feel it feels a little like, I don't know. Am I I wrong that for two years we've been sitting here and everyone's been telling me, oh, Brianna, it's not about, you know, you just got to vote for Biden and you're not going to get it through, you know, and and it's all about unions. You just got to organize. You just got to organize. You just got to organize. Everyone's been saying that. And then they went and now all of a sudden we're supposed to be told, oh, well, yeah, the unions aren't going to do it either. It just feels (laughs) like been outflanked at every like in every sector. So now that like folks are, you know, coming out of all of the, you know, the white backlash from the 60s and, uh, you know, war on drugs and the three strikes and everything that was done to repeal whatever momentum was, you know, uh, Pro, everything that was done, uh, you know, to repeal all the progress that was being made. Um, and folks are I think we're kind of getting into a place where we we're coming out of it a little bit then it's kind of I think it's it's a lot to be like, damn, is there nowhere we we can turn where like that's going to be the answer where we can just trust that that institution? Because even Ryan said it, too. He said that the most of the unions, they're you know, they're uh, they work for the party in a sense. They, they're mm-hmm. bought and paid for. He acknowledged that. Um, and then, you know, he then he said the same, you know, things with the organizations like a lot of those organizations can't even hold people accountable. So what power do they really have? too so um mm-hmm. sometimes you know what it feels like is that you know we gotta I, and it sounds difficult and it's easy just to say it or whatever but then like like maybe what like the answer like we have to create that now we can't just look to existing organizations to hold up the mantle like what does the NAACP do now for folks what does Southern Christian Leadership Movement do for folks like and I'm, those are older institutions, but maybe the answer is just like, okay, we need to like talk to each other about, okay, what organizations can we create? And then we can co-collaborate with folks who are aligned, but may not be doing what we want them to do. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. It fe- It feels like there's one on one hand, people are like, don't start new organizations. That's just a vanity project. You should join existing organizations and make them better and invest, invest, invest in all of these institutions that have all the problems that we see. And then like, I say do like both. this happens with those. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I know this sounds really fatalistic, but no, I, hear you. I, I, my, my antenna are always up for what feels like a 
deflection. You know, it, it feels weird. It's like, do you remember, you know, whenever we talk about like a general strike, whenever we oh. talk about the kinds of spontaneous historical moments that have occurred, the re- the reaction from kind of more institutional people are that's such an outlier. You can't rely on something like that. It is frivolous and stupid to even bring up something like that, um, to even talk about something, regardless of it having been a real historical event that occurred, like you know, Paris 68. Like it's why are you, you're just, it, it's, it's a demonstration of how unserious you are mm-hmm. and it's not going to work anyway. Traditional organizational means. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that like, we should all just sit around and be help, helping for a spontaneous like uprising. But I, I, I am increasingly like, well, just let, let the chips fall where they may like let people <laughs> talk their shit. Like let people talk about whatever they want to talk about. Cause I'm not going to sit here with my chest, say confidently that I can rely on even the biggest and most core to the economy of unions to be able to credibly act on the threat of a strike given all of the impediments that exist both in and outside of their control uh-huh. and say, so well, let's rely on that and like completely erase from public consciousness, the idea that sometimes it just happens because people are pissed off enough. You know, I, I want many flowers to bloom if the more traditional flowers and more traditional methods of going about things are so corruptible and um, thwartable even under kind of the best sort of conditions. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I mean, something that is probably stopping a lot of people and I get it is just everything they stand to basically potentially lose by going a step further. It's just like, you know, people want to do things like within their comfort, even like when I think about protests, I've been in a part of the past and like at the time I thought I was doing something. But then like when the when the cops tell you like, OK, you can protest, but then you have to just take up this one lane. And if you take up this other lane, then we're going to arrest y'all. And then everybody just gets into that one lane. It's like we get to say we were outside, you know. But did we really do anything? Um, I'm just at a rally right now with UTLA and they're bargaining and I hope they go on strike. And if they on strike, I'm going to be out here, um, you know, with them the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Um, but then <laughs> like you got folks, you know, folks show up, they kind of leave in. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to do the hard thing. And I think that a lot of folks are, scared to do the hard thing because of everything that it that that you can lose and the sacrifice that it that it takes to do that um i don't know but it does sound like what what did you say fatalistic mm-hmm. yeah because like when you kind of look at it like now that you know especially because this stuff is like i'm seeing this stuff now a lot of times it's just like damn bro like this shit is hopeless like <laughs> like if it, it feels like that because it feels like you're cornered at like all these different exit points. There's like, there's no, it almost seems like there's no way out. Um, And then like you're left kind of feeling like, okay, you know what? I think we just have to wait until, you know, uh, bread famine or whatever, like until people are really Mm -hmm. like, you know, the worst possible option. Um, And that it almost feels like you just have to wait. 
sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But we know we can't do that because then what happens is when the thing does happen, just like in 2020, like people aren't organized enough or have they haven't built enough relationships to make the specific demands. And that's where we get co-opted. Um, so when it comes to even the organization talk, that's why I'm like, you know, whether it's you starting an organization or being a part of an organization, I'm a part of a lot of different organizations, not, not necessarily because I believe in everything that organization does, but we're aligned enough. And I think that it's important that I have relationships with those folks so that like when stuff does come up, I can reach out to somebody within the organization and it's not just a random stranger telling them you need to be doing this or you need to be doing that. You think people in these orgs don't know what they're, that they, what they should be doing. Do you think it really is like, (laughs) an inner? I mean, I'm not trying to be such an asshole right now, but you know what I mean? Like, like, um, what's his name? Uh, Derek, Derek Johnson. Who's the head of the NAACP? Oh my gosh. Is that his name? Derek? Yeah, it is. I think yeah, Derek. Yeah. It's Derek J something. I'm so sorry, but this is how God bless. Like no shade to this man. I'm sorry to this man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Derek Johnson, but I'm sorry. This is how relevant these people are at this point. Okay. Derek Johnson. The last time I was talking about Derek Johnson is because he was on that leaked Biden call with all the black muckety mucks sitting quietly, not saying anything as Joe Biden, uh, Strom Thurmond's eulogizer was dressing them all down as knowing more about civil rights and how to get them than they do. And so you know, when you look at someone like Derek Johnson, I, he said a couple of little things. I've noticed him tweeting a little something, something about <laughs> you promised student debt reform. And like he he gets a little bass in his voice every now and then and will tweet something out. But on the whole, it's like who is really looking is, is the head of the NAACP is the institution that is the NAACP ever going to be really oppositional to Biden? Or are they just hoping that they still get invited to sit on those calls so they can be? you know, have a seat at the table to get dressed down by President Biden. Like what, like what is preventing Derek Johnson right now from saying you, Joe Biden, you've completely betrayed your promise to black America. You told us to vote for you and that we would get a George Floyd justice and policing act that you would cancel our student debt for HBCU graduates. That should have been something you did on day one with the stroke of a pen. And now we're all caught up in these lawsuits and probably nobody's going to get any student debt cancellation. You know, why should black people vote for you? We're turn- we won Georgia for you. You're expecting us to do it again. Like, what are we getting? You know, you know like, what, it, you know what it is? If you, and if you go to no names, uh, Twitter, she actually is having some really good conversations about this. But, you know, in, in the conversation she was uh, she was having with someone, someone named the People's Oracle or People's Oracle, uh, she said, I have yet to meet one who would willingly give up their power, influence and status to marginalized communities. It's always let me make my way to the top of the white slash male capitalist hierarchies. And then when I get there, I will dot dot dot. And when you talk about Derek and why he won't go a step further is because he's going to lose that access to being in the room. Right. So this is, this is what I'm saying. This idea that like, and, and I, this is not me saying it's not a good idea to be a part of organizations at all, but, uh, but the idea that it's like, well, if I had a personal relationship with in people in the NAACP or I worked in the NAACP and had a relationship with Derek Johnson, that I could let him know that maybe he should take a different approach. 
Like he knows. Oh yeah, yeah. He's making choices already. You know what I mean? Or even like this this discourse right now about the um, rail unions wanting the squad to vote in the way that they did. You know, I I don't I don't entirely know what's going on there. Um, I think there's some part of it where if if it's a fait accompli, like you're you're you support the squad members in choosing to vote the way that they voted because you genuinely think strategically it is good for them to have uh, you know voted on the record on the seven days of leave. Or maybe you genuinely think that was more important than than symbolically. That saying, don't even make sense. Like the only thing that makes sense in that situation is that they just don't know how the process works or they weren't paying attention during all the BBB stuff when the bills got right. or, or they were misled. Cause I heard, I saw a lot of people saying this, Oh, that we might actually get the seven days passed. There's a shot. There's a slim chance, but there's a chance, which I think is bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> Complete bullshit. Yeah. Obviously facially observably. What, what it, what it, um, sorry. What did, uh, what did uh, Dave Chappelle say about Herschel Walker? He's observably stupid. So- <laughs> like, it was observably bullshit from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. But I, I, I know because I saw it and I heard it that people who have credibility and authority were saying, oh, we're counting the votes and it's going to be close and maybe this is going to happen right up until it didn't happen. Mm. And so if I'm, if I'm in a union and I have, I have Congress members telling me, that it's close and that it's worth like trying on the chance that we might actually get the things passed, then I would also say, yeah, I support them voting the way that they did, not knowing that I'm being lied to. You know, that's one possibility. One possibility is that they say, well, we're not really prepared to strike anyway, so like this covers our bases. I mean, there's a lot of different possibilities that I don't know because I'm not in the union and maybe this yeah. is an argument for being having better relationships with people. So you know what's going on. <laughs> right. But like the, what I what little I do know is from talking to the people that I I do have access to and have spoken to, and it and so like I see the argument for it. But at the end of the day, it's like <sighs> it it feels like at this point, yeah. little old me who knows nothing about anything, like why. <laughs> Why isn't there already somebody in all of these institutions who's, who knows anything that I could possibly know that would benefit from my having been there? Do you know what I mean? Like we yeah. live in a world where like Jane McAlevey and these types are, are out here who have been doing this stuff forever. And it, it, just, it feels like it feels like this is like a structural issue, not like an information issue. Oh, yeah, funda- yeah, you're right, yeah. You know, like, fundamentally, no one needs, like, that little bit of sage wisdom that's going to turn everything around. It's like it's like being in the org is the problem at a certain point. <laughs> Be, you know, having the position is the problem. Like, you are, yeah. you are constitutionally, structurally unable to have the mind frame of the people who are not in the org because you are in the org. And again, that sounds like really like pompous. And I'm not saying that every opinion that and take that I have is better than someone who is institutionalized and has much more knowledge. And like, I'm not saying that at all, but you know, this idea that like, Oh, if I were just, if I were on the DS, you know, if I were more active in the DSA, then it would be different. Like they would have, they would have voted differently about whether to kick out the squad members or whatever the vote was on. Because mm. I see so many DSA members pissed off 
They're all there. Like we're like there were already a million people who feel like the way I do in the DSA who were pissed off about how the vote went. But it's like it it like it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like it didn't matter because <laughs> nothing happened. You know. So I mean, yeah. I mean, like ultimately, like what I mean, what it what it come down to is that you can't expect any like I don't, and it, that's even like why like now like I don't even at this point I don't even get mad at like the squad doing the stuff they do because like I don't the bar I don't really expect nothing from them you know like and someone told me today they said um, they said oh do you trust me and I said I trust you to be you. Like, I trust you to do what you do, but outside of that, no, nah, I don't, you know, and I like, that's what, like, the place I've gotten to with the squad or, like, or that's even just the way I think about with anybody who's not doing the thing that I think that they should be doing, whether it's Derek or whoever, <laughs> um, I can't look for other people to do those things. And it's just like, okay, if I know the things, if, you know, we know the information that we know, then what are we doing with it? Fred Hampton talked about, you know, theory is theory, but it ain't nothing without practice. So that's, you know, the self-critique, I think, that we all have to have for ourselves. If we feel like we know what it is to do, then why aren't we doing it? Yeah, I mean, the problem the problem with, like, co-opting orgs is that the organization does have ostensible power and they have collected all of the energy of the people who want the power to change into a group and then mm-hmm. m- muted the group. So it's like when, when we talk about starting something anew from scratch, it's like, it's just what's so frustrating about it is like, it's, I think the, the reason this railroad stuff is so demoralizing is because it's like right there. Yeah. It's, it's like right there. Like yeah. after all the ducks are in the row. Yeah. <laughs> like you got, you're Push the, the one. Push the button. That's you've, it. You've done the work. You're, <laughs> like, you're right there. It's all right there. It's like the best. It's like it's like the platonic ideal of organized labor. And it, it we're all watching. <laughs> and we're all like ready to rally. And it just if I don't know, like this is me dealing with my emotions. And I'm, yeah, I but- understand that this isn't necessarily constructive. And I'm going to rally and everything's going to be fine. But I just, woof. Man, I feel you. Sometimes I'd be wanting to just like, like just, just sometimes I want to apply and work at the job just so I could know, like, or be in the room where the conversations are being had. Because if I was a railroad worker and Mm -hmm. I know that if we shut this shit down, literally the country can function. Not like, you know, some, some jobs you can, you know, salute to Starbucks or whatever, but like you going on strike, isn't going to shut down the country. Mm -hmm. If I knew that collectively we had the power to shut down the country, like Mm -hmm. I would have everything I wanted. It wouldn't Mm -hmm. be a discussion about like we seven days, sick leave, 15 days, sick leave. Like Mm -hmm. there wouldn't be no discussion. And that's the weird thing to me. I'm just like, are we so neutered that we don't feel like we can do do that? I don't yeah. know. And the other thing, and you let me know what you think about it. I feel like the more and more I'm starting to think about it, I feel like we really, I was watching football. That's what made me start thinking about it. And I'm like, yo, like football players today are today's gladiators in a sense. And I'm looking at Jerry Jones 
and the way he's sitting up in his press box and everything. And I'm just thinking like, damn, that's probably, you know, I don't know, Julius Caesar or some shit like that. Like Mm -hmm. some dude at the top, you know, and that's what the billionaire. But it's like this is the updated version of that shit. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And we don't even realize it. And it makes me wonder, I'm like, damn, did they realize it back then? Because it's easy to read. Like, it's easy to understand what was what the, like what it was when we when I read about it back then. But now I almost feel like we so deep in it. We don't even see that we in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you if you point it, if you if you point it out, like, you know, I think a lot of black people have been wrestling with the Jerry Jones parents thinking. Right. About that. But I think. There's like a there's a structural resonance for black people that goes beyond what Jerry Jones as an individual might think. And seeing him in that picture as part of that racist white community and then seeing how much power he grew up to have and wealth he grew up to have and power over so many black lives. It, there's a, like a some symbolic reality there that's not just symbolic. It's like the structural reality yeah. exists for so many people, regardless of what is enduring, like not wrongdoing, but just like social justice advocacy, et cetera. But like, I, you know, that, that is, that is the issue that is not just about Jerry Jones. And it's, it's, it's difficult to talk about because when you're not talking about someone specific, everybody tells you that you're just kind of like, pointing at figments and that's all in the past and why are you being so melodramatic and you know the claim the claim is so diffuse that no one takes Mm -hmm. you seriously then here comes a picture of a literal football player (laughs) owner jeering you know standing in a crowd of white kids jeering and complaining about you know protesting integration and even that is like oh well why are you complaining about this This is a million man that's crazy you can't win that's crazy when you you put it like that that's crazy and and I saw I saw there was some reporting about um you know some California studies showed how much um would be owed to black people oh, per person yeah. in reparations, and I immediately saw people coming out like these I'm sorry white people saying things like, well what about Native Americans don't they get reparations like what about yes us? King yeah. they should get it <laughs> I'm not in their business like right. we're having a different conversation over here but let me let me like make it very clear fully vociferously support them getting the entire bag. Right. And when they bring that up, I will not be in their mentions talking about, but right. what about black people? I will yes and that shit and move it on. <laughs> Period. Period. <laughs> you know, so, and just like all of these people who are like, well, what about, what about, what about these other groups weren't what abouting it when survivors of the Holocaust or, or failing victims of the Holocaust rightly got their reparations from the train companies that were shipping them off to the, to Auschwitz and the like. Japanese yes and yes give them their bag and also everybody else but you weren't you weren't complaining about but what about it what about what about when other people were getting their reparations so i don't know it just it does it does start to feel very i don't even know how it got did you see the picture of uh uh representative omar with biden like they took a picture did you see that together it was that some like gala or something like or gala some, oh, was it the dinner that they had? The the black tie dinner they had the night yeah. the road strike? Yeah. I think I think that's what it was from, but I seen her take a picture with them and it really bothered me. Cause I'm just like, is she from Somalia? Right? Mm-hmm. And you let know me, what let me just Google this. they be doing to your people. And you know what he be doing to people. And you just gonna take a picture with him and smile like I don't know. 
it really bothered me. I don't know if you see stuff like that and it bothers you and it just makes you like, you know what, even if you kind of signal like you on our side, the fact that you would take a picture with bro like that, smiling, and you know. I mean, look, this is fundamentally, this is the bargain that you strike when you agree to be a part of the Democratic Party, a part of this team. You know, there's a version of that. We talk about this all the time, right? There's a version of this where they're like, I'm in here and I'm, I guess, technically a Democrat or I'm caucusing with Democrats or whatever. But like Joe Biden isn't my friend. Yeah. Joe Biden is is someone that I'm aggressively pushing to be better. You know, like, and and to, to really internalize that position, but. That's not the, I mean, that's just not the nature of our politics. Yeah, I know. It's so heartbreaking. But, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. That's why I say I can't be, I trust you to be you. You you show me exactly what it is. So, like, if I'm mad at you, it's like the dude that picked up the snake and then he get mad that the snake bit him. You knew what it yeah. was when you picked it up. So, yeah. I'll leave with that. I'll leave with that. I appreciate you, B. I appreciate you too, Sylvester. Keep, Keep the faith. faith. <laughs> oh wait let me try clifford one more time sorry clifford i almost forgot you wait a minute where'd you go okay here you go third time's a charm cliff can you can you unmute yourself, clifford clifford have you like exited the app and come back into it i think that's i think that's the next stage I think that's the next stage of troubleshooting if you haven't done that already. It's just like to completely leave, close out the app, like minimize the window, swipe it up, get rid of it on your phone, and then come back inside. And we'll we'll try this again. I'm not giving up on you, Clifford. I'm not giving up on you. Jesse, what's on your mind tonight? Jesse, can you unmute yourself? All right. What's on your mind? Uh, Lots and lots. Um, It was funny. You and Sylvester were touching on so many things, and I was like, oh, yeah, and that. And that was, there's a lot going on. Um, Yeah, I had the same Bankman Freed episode. I thought that was great, although I guess from when I first kind of started hearing about that story, I was like, oh, yeah, that's not surprising. That's a Ponzi scheme. Mm -hmm. And uh, watching the interview clips with him, I'm like, oh, yeah. This is like a young Bernie Madoff who's just always had stuff handed to him, and he's gotten away with uh, defrauding everybody really easily, and he's just trying to fake it till he makes it still. That's my, that's my take. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's still – when you listen to the DealBook interview, I think that, you know, that journalist, you know, was not the worst. They they asked him – he asked some good questions and oh, yeah. some good follow-ups. However, if you take a step back and really think about the tone and you think about the tone that mainstream newscasters, and maybe it's not fair to put this on this one interviewer, but like generally speaking, mainstream news talk about like shoplifters at Walgreens <laughs> or like right. the That's homeless a good point. Population. Although now, now that you, now that you bring that, yeah. And Antifa <laughs> and, you know, graffiti and stuff. But now that you bring that up, I'm like, well, how did they talk about all the uh, big hedge funds that were like going down and about to get bailed out by the government in 2008? Maybe Sam's maybe Sam's already knows that he's going to get bailed out by the government and he's just like trying to uh trying to play along and he's hoping hoping like something like that'll happen. I mean, you never know. Could be a stranger twist than that coming. Yeah, but. I mean, it's just the 
I mean, every and built into the questions. I mean, the, so the tone was generally speaking pretty friendly and accommodating. And sure. even though sometimes the the interviewer would say things like, "Well, the sympathetic view of what you did was this, and the less sympathetic view is this," and then he would articulate like the bad the case for the him being very a very very bad actor. It was right. still he was still given the option, like you know, and it, he was he was addressing. Sam Bankman Freed, like ultimately he was a a, a decent person who yeah, deserved like a, the benefit like a, of the doubt. Like a kid who like went and uh took the family car for a drive when he's seventeen exactly. and came back and hundred hundred dollars was missing from mom's purse. But exactly uh, I think it's a little bigger than a hundred dollars missing from mom's exactly. purse. Exactly. And I will and point I think out that Sam knew what was going on. You know? Yeah, exactly. And I will point out that when some kids take their parents' car and go for a drive they are thrown in jail and some right, kids it, totally. they're picked up by the cops and they're like pat on the head. My, my, my grandfather was thrown in jail for joyriding as a teenager right? Yeah. and was the start of a, my biological grandfather have a very inauspicious life. I'll put it that way. And well, I mean, that's, 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 so I, and, that's and again, I wish that the, everybody were treated more like Sam Bateman free. Not that everyone was treated more like, you know, black men in the 1960s, you know, or today, you know, like my grandfather was treated, but I, it is frustrating to watch if, if knowing gonna, that he stole gonna... more than any random person <laughs> yeah. stealing Tide or deodorant or whatever they lock up is exactly. ever going to steal. If, if we were going to get harsh on somebody, the bankers who are stealing trillions are the ones who really deserve it. Yeah. Um, but um, I was, yeah, that, so like I say, that was I found that interesting and everything. But I was wondering if we could. Um, I was kind of curious to ask you something on a little different tangent. Um, mm-hmm. I um, I guess well, I think a lot about kind of like kind of like radically alternative societies and like trying to, you know, like global equality um, stuff like that. Like on in the in the vein of like you know internationalist. Um, socialist equality and, you know, dealing with climate change and everything. And I'm just kind of curious. I know you've mentioned growing up in Kenya. I grew I grew up off grid, which I think was partly because my mom actually grew up in India as kind of a missionary, a missionary kid. But mm-hmm. that was partly I grew up in the United States, but very alternative off grid lifestyle. And I'm just kind of curious if you have any kind of like draw or connection towards that kind of stuff having spent a spent a bunch of time growing up in a dramatically different society or if that's just kind of something that's oh living off the grid yeah or just yeah or or just like radically different like i'm i'm kind of talking in the vein of like you know um alternative types of stuff of like taking a big step back from america standard american consumerist society you know stuff like that oh yeah my mom loves stuff like that She's been talking about <laughs> okay. her Armaged- Arm- Armageddon house, she calls it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for years. And I think part of what attracted her to moving abroad in the first instance was looking for a radically different uh, way of right. life. She, you know, she says, she says the Biden mo- like Biden getting elected, it's just how it felt like to her when Cl- Clinton got elected in 92. And that's when we left the country. She was like, we okay. had tried. And like, this is what right. Democrats <laughs> came up with. And she yeah, was right. like, no. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. But I think, I think you also, I think I remember you mentioning at some point, like your mom, like went to like Panther camp and stuff like that growing Mm -hmm. up, like black Panther camp. Like she had a a fair, she must've had a like fairly 
altern or at least on some level alternative kind of um upbringing huh yeah i mean i i don't know how alternative it felt to them at the time i don't think it was like that crazy radical i mean you know and and maybe in the american context but in their in their context in a the black community in Cleveland, Ohio, I, she wasn't like the only kid in, in, um, you know, doing Panther programs and things like that. My, my grandfather sure. was, uh, a nation of Islam. My grandmother, when they were growing up was Buddhist and kind of a free spirit hippie. They were young parents. Right. And, you know, not very traditional and yeah, I don't know. But, I, but maybe, maybe they're more, maybe they, they, they I would argue they might've been, like more radical than most people are today as much as I would like to think I'm trying to be radical and everything, you know? Yeah, I think so. Look, I think there's a way I, I was joking. I was joking with someone about this cause I just got a couch. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. uh, I just got my first like couch. Uh, I've been yeah, using yeah. the day bed that I bought in law school until uh, <laughs> last week. And I was like, my apartment feels so great right now. I'm fully transitioned to the bourgeois. <laughs> like, I'm too comfortable now. You know, well, I... I'm not, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to take this down a path of we all have to go back, go out and like live in cabins. In the no, 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 no. I'm not saying that whatever, But, but there, yeah. there, I think there is something to it. Cause I was like, I'm, I'm yeah. like, oh wow, I have everything that I want now in this apartment. <laughs> and it mm -hmm. felt like it felt a little too good. I was like, oh man, I'd be really bummed if something happened to this apartment. Like I'd be really right. bummed if like I had to give this all up now. And yeah, you I get was, comfortable and it becomes a trap. <laughs> I mean, yes. And I, I was, I was like, I was just fully joking. Like, Oh, what if I have to downsize again to a studio and this couch doesn't fit in my studio? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and I, look, I, I think there's, I think there's something, something to that. I do think that growing up abroad, sometimes I will be joking with Robbie too. Cause he'll be like, Oh, I hate masks. And it's so, it's such inconvenience. And I'm like, you just expect for the power to always be on and for water mm -hmm. to come out of the tap. <laughs> yeah. And like, you guys are like complaining about like having to look at homeless people. And I'm like, it is bad. Like, I don't want to be in a place where it's like, I've seen worse. So I don't have compassion for what exists in America. Cause that's obviously a dark and twisted way to look at things. But right. you know, I was a kid looking at other kids with barely any clothes on and like limbs missing, holding their baby siblings you know, on the yeah. side of the road, you know what I mean? It's like another level. It's like oh, the yeah. ante is just up and there's no, like, there's no like social services going to ever sweep in and, and swoop up the people in the very, very bottom, or at least take care of the children. Like that's just not a thing. Oh yeah, totally. There's like no, no bottom I, yeah. at all. Yeah. And so I don't know that I think, I do think that has affected my perspective in some ways, probably in good ways and in bad ways. But it makes me feel much less attached, I think, on some level to the idea that the system is working, that capitalism is working. When the pinkers of the world talk about how, you know, on a, on a gross basis, um, you know, uh, poverty is down and standards of living are up and all of this stuff. It's like it seems like deeply cruel to me when you have even a glimpse of what like the status quo is in so much of the planet. Yeah. And the I the mean, yeah. shock that Americans have when something like nine eleven happens, or when like the power grid goes down, or you know there's a hurricane. Well, yeah, like Obviously, it's North very Carolina, very horrible. North Carolina or whatever, yeah. Right, but it's also like welcome to the world a little bit, and like you should have a sense of how 
how tenuous it all is, what a shell game all of it is, all of the time, and yep. that America's Day is coming. <laughs> well, totally. You know? And I mean, you know, I'm I'm interested, like I'm interested in getting back to this kind of like simpler lifestyle or stuff, experimenting with that. But you know, I'll I also own a Tesla. You know, I'm a nurse and I make mm -hmm. good money and whatever. You know, so I'm not I'm not trying to um, push things into a Puritan kind of realm there but i just think I, I think it's worthwhile to have like some end goal and vision like you and sylvester were talking a lot about like how do you get things going do you take over an org do you start a new one like all this stuff and i think like i think in either case like um having an having an attainable goal like maybe not like easy to attain maybe not for sure you're going to attain it but an attainable goal i think in in your boots riley interview he uh he talks about that when he's talking about his Teatro Campesino stuff and working with the farm workers or, I don't know, mm -hmm. just in organizing. I forget exactly in what context, but he's like, if people don't have like something that they can at least try and take a shot at, they're just going to be like, mm, there's nothing I can do, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's kind of why I bring that up is because I feel like that is like, like looking at some pivot away from, you know, um, you know, uh, American consumerist society is part of like is part of that recipe for making that attainable goal. So that's that's why I just wanted to kick it around and talk about it. You know, and you know, I'm I'm have you know I can imagine like being able to stay in a a really nice place. You know, a couple times out of the you know a couple chunks of time out of the year, and then enjoying something humble you know, the rest of the time or whatever. Like, I don't think it has to be like super radical, but you know, I, that's, that's stuff that I like to kick around. So I was just kind of curious to, I mean, to, the other uh, crazy part of it is that. that I'm talking about like a 700 foot square foot apartment. Like I'm the queen of Sheba. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's like twice the size of my studio. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and right? like, it's, it's like expensive for the stupid 700 square foot, but it's not like, like we have all these weird senses of scale and I don't know, everything's fucked. I, I get it. But I really do appreciate what you're saying. I do think there's something about like, even, even there was a part of me that's like, great. Like I'll sink money into, like if I had some kind of guarantee, which I know it's not my place, but like if I had some kind of guarantee, like if I put X amount of dollars in this um, strike fund, or if I am able to help fundraise right. and get this or, amount of money in the yeah. strike fund, they promise to strike. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I did, go, like, I did go send a hundred dollars to the rail worker to the RWU or whatever they are. Yeah, so it took me a minute to find their donate link, but yeah, I did. And I don't I even do know how the RWU works for all the different unions, but I think yeah, like, give what you can there. I'm 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 giving money to them and not to uh not to Democratic politicians. Yeah, so. <laughs> for sure. And I think that whoever had the um to coordinate with Max to do some kind of fundraising, I think that's a hundred percent good and i'm going to pursue that but you know it doesn't it doesn't work like that you, you can't no, like hold them hostage you, and it's you you can't you can't put your whole month's rent in, into that and expect the world to change by the next month but, but that's the thing if i knew if i knew right. that they really really would strike i would be willing to put my whole month's rent into it yeah. do, do you know well, what i mean no but, I, I agree and i'm but, but that's the that thing you were saying about like if you if you know that there's something small but concrete, it makes you more willing to invest in it. But that's the thing. We just keep getting disappointed and there's no guarantees. And I can feel the psychological strain of that myself. 
And I can't help I but think, think that that's having an effect I more think broadly. That's where it's important to to set have the goal not be like we'll get somebody elected and then we hope they do something. I think it's important to have the goal be like, you know, we get the strike fund to this amount of money and maybe they strike or maybe they don't. Or maybe that's not the greatest example, but I don't know, just like um yeah. I I I think they're I think they're I think there can be, I think there can be maybe not more concrete, but just like um, at least, you know, pictures painted of like, you know, this is how a society really could work. And you paint this picture, this compelling picture of it or whatever, and be like, this is kind of what we're shooting for. And this is our first step, you know, trying mm -hmm. to, trying to get a general strike is our first step. And this, you know, this is what we want this is what we're going to try and change with that. And it's going to, it's going to look like this and it's going to be, you know, we're, we're going to have all these components. Like we're all going to like rein in our consumerism and we're going to start giving 10% of our income to mutual aid and whatever, if we can get this to work and it's going to spread all over the world and whatever. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what I think of that kind of like actually makes me feel optimistic, which a lot of things don't make me feel optimistic. I mean, so. Let me ask you this to tie it back to the episode a little bit. Are mm -hmm. there, are th is are there parallels? I, I critiqued um, Teddy a little bit, or he—I don't know if that was his view. Or he was kind of steelmanning it, but I, I critiqued the idea that Sam Bankman Fried and all of them have the effect of altruist people of saying, "Well, mm -hmm. I don't think the government can do anything, so it's better for me to keep my money and put it into the projects that I think are worthwhile." Are we doing the same thing? Should we, when we um, say we're giving up on electoralism or I, giving up on affecting government? We can just mutuate ourselves out of this. Are we just as bad? I would say that if we follow the billionaire model and have grandiose ideas that are all about us being able to show something to our billionaire friends and pat ourselves on our back, then yes. If we really are analytical about the situation and be like, what change are we trying to make and focus on mutual aid type of stuff, um, that isn't so much about us making ourselves feel good, but that's really about helping the people in need and really like facilitating change. Then I think, no, I think we're doing something different and it's better. And I don't think it's too hard to do that. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, want to put our money behind not having a wealth tax, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is a, which is a key difference. All right. Well, I'll let you go. Thanks for calling in Jesse. Yeah. Thanks for All chatting. Right. Keep the faith. All right, Nicholas. You've been in the queue a bunch and not gotten called on, so I'm glad you were up here tonight. What's on your mind? Hey. Hey. What's going on? You know, I, I, I've had this, uh, I've had this, this thing out. The, the episode had me steaming about this, my, my bugbear, and then Sylvester mentioned Jerry Jones, and I'm, I'm, t I've been overtaken with my anger at Jerry Jones. Well, not at Jerry Jones, but just in the way that discussions occurred. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like one of these things where like you wake up in the morning and there's water on the ground and you're kind of like, well, I wasn't, I didn't see it, but I, I can kind of assume it's rained. And mm -hmm. Jerry Jones ends up being kind of like the owner of the Dallas Cowboys who fights Colin Kaepernick like, like, it, like he stole something from him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's like, but I'm not racist. Trust Trust and believe. Did, I, I don't know a lot about the specific players, um, a, the specific individuals within the NFL who are most vocal or critical of Colin Kaepernick. Was Jerry Jones one of them? He for sure was one of them. He went, mm. he went wild. 
And mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, this is such a violation of this, that, and the third. And I mean, it was just, it's just crazy to me. And I mean, like, you know, there are so many overtones of like, you know, well, no, overtones maybe not right word, but it, uh, um, I'm, so, I'm so thrown off now because Jerry Jones, this thing just pissed me off. I just, you know, the, the one thing that I'd love to ask him is like, Jerry Jones, let's imagine that you're not racist, right? Let's just say you're not. <laughs> Although I have to tell you, if somebody had said to me, oh, there's a picture of Jerry Jones from the 1950s and 60s and it has something to do with civil rights, I wouldn't have guessed Malcolm X rally. <laughs> I pretty much I pretty much knew which side of the coin he was going to end up on. You know, it's not much of a surprise. But okay, so let's imagine you're not racist. Might you at least concede that there's a likeliness that you might be willfully blind to some unusually racist behavior? How about mm. that? Mm. You know, and th- that's a conversation I'd like to have, right? Just to say, like, okay, let's say he's not racist. Okay, he, d- he didn't agree with these people, but he just happened to be at this rally or whatever the hell was happening. And he heard things being said and he didn't find that all that offensive. Is it possible that he's still doing that today? Yeah, it's like, um, did you see that they came up with, they were, um, who was it? Somebody had to define woke for some lawsuit. Oh. Who was it? I tweeted about this. Now I can't remember who it was. Okay. DeSantis, Ron DeSantis' lawyers were forced by the court to define woke. (laughs) The lead lawyer described it as, quote, the belief there are systemic injustices in American society and the need to address them. So they're really just saying, like, fully, I don't think they're systemic. Like, like, there's nothing woke about that. That's just like... They, I don't believe in gravity. They're just fully saying it out loud. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing special about woke. Woke isn't about the excesses of liberalism or some things that I might agree with on the margins. They're fully just admitting that it's like talking about the fact of systemic inequality is wokeness and we want to make that illegal. I and so like, it. not that that's something that Jerry Jones said, but when you have a kind of like political faction sort of unintentionally owning that they can't even, they won't even recognize that there are any lingering effects of very recent de jure state-sponsored racism. Like within Jerry Jones's time, because we literally saw his little buzz cut ass (laughs) standing there (laughs) in the mix, you know, and, and they won't even like, I, I saw you doing the systemic racism and you're telling me that you can't even process it because you think that's something called wokeness, which you think is a lie. Yeah. Like, yeah, at a certain point, it's like, I'm not, it's not even about like, are you racist or not? It's like, you're kind of demonstrating people who adopt this kind of approach to life are demonstrating a complete and inability to, to see the systems that they're a part of. They won't even acknowledge that there is a such thing as a system. So of course, yeah, you're going to, in effect, be perpetuating racism unless you're, unless you can't, like, if you, unless you, if you can't see it, if you can't acknowledge it. If you can't even, you can't, you, you won't even let them eat. And he, he won't even have a discussion about it because it's like, well, this is unfair. This is unfair. It's like, well, what do you mean this is unfair? There's a picture of you when you're 15. Do you remember it? Does that seem strange yeah. to you that you were there? I mean, I did some weird yeah. shit when I was 15. I mean, there's a hairstyle I, there are no pictures of, but I, I remember it happened. I, yeah. I probably, but I would own up to it. I mean, shit, I don't know. Like, just be like, oh, I was there. It was crazy. Like, I can't believe I was part of that. And I hope that I'm never part of something else again, which brings me to yeah. what I'm part of today, <laughs> which is. Yeah. 
I mean, like it's my... hard. It's hard to remember specifically, but we all know. I mean, like I'm 37, and I and the and the the part of the culture that's moved most quickly for me is around LGBTQ issues. And I and I talk about yeah. this with my gay friend from, friends from college, like my my best friend Joe, who was closeted until like I was about to graduate from law school. And we talk about like the kinds of conversations that were had in college and the the things people used to say and the jokes they used to make and how part of like the everyday common discourse homophobic jokes were. And for me to like sit here, like if there were some Facebook post or something in which I were to, I said something that I was embarrassed about today, which I don't think exists, but like hypothetically, you know, for me to sit here and be like, you know, I I think I, I would owe the world some kind of explanation. Like, yeah, man, that's like so embarrassing. I, I like, I, I hate that that is something that I would have said at the time. And unfortunately it was kind of a part of the culture. And I'm so grateful that we have all recognized how horrible that was. And like people that I loved had to live through those kind of, that kind of discourse in like a very casual way. And like, but just to pretend like, well, I was standing there in the crowd of homophobes, <laughs> but like I was impervious to all of that. You know, I wasn't a part, I, I have no accountability for it whatsoever. I was just dropped down from Mars into the thick of it. <laughs> it's just so delusional. Like you can make mistakes. And I'm certainly, again, like I have no interest in saying that you have to be who you were when you were 14 for the rest of your life. Yeah. But that doesn't make the systemic aspect of it go away. And it doesn't make you, you know, like the fact of you getting older is not proof that you've changed. It's yeah. a factor, but you need to say a couple of things more to demonstrate for all the people whose lives you have control over. That's all. Like, just, just reassure me, Jerry, say a few paragraphs. And if you find yourself at the heart of another situation where you're being accused of in, you know, your hypothetical case, homophobia, or in his case, racism, at least have the, have the state of like, I don't know, like self-awareness to be like, well, maybe, maybe I might be blind about, maybe I have a blind spot here. Right. You you can't um Joanne read this and act like the FBI like planted <laughs> your Reed. your blog posts or whatever. <laughs> yeah. 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 So but that was that was I, I yeah but the thing that that that's just been and I think this this SBF thing is so perfect for the time. I just I I just keep thinking we live in a society that where there's a total misallocation of resources, a total misallocation of resources. And, you know, people have too much fucking money. They just too, have too much money. You see it with, yeah. like, stock buybacks, this crypto nonsense. And these are people who, if you ask them to pay another cent of tax, another cent of tax would lose their minds and tell you that you're trying to get them, you're, you're, you're Joe Stalin's cousin. <laughs> and yet they're putting their money, they're putting their money in rubbish. They're yeah. putting their money in rubbish. You know, I mean, I was listening to, who is it was Ron DeSantis, one of these one of these wannabe capitalists, right? All these people who 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 are who are the biggest capitalists on earth, but have never worked a day in their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've never worked in the private sector a day in their lives, right? I mean, they maybe did a year at an investment bank. Oh, woe is me! And then the private sector is is gone to them, although they always work in the public sector. And you see like these stock buybacks, stock buybacks is companies saying, we don't have anything more to invest in. We have no more options for us to invest in. 
We need to get, we've just got cash sitting around. But mm -hmm. instead of, instead of taking, and so if I was a, if I was in government, I would say, well, Hey, look, it looks to me like you, you got too much money to do shit with. Why don't you, why don't you give it to us and we'll, we'll fix some schools. We'll fix some schools. We'll give you guys healthcare. We'll pay our workers more, but they're like, no, 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 no. Socialism, socialism. And so they take their money and they invest it in rubbish. Yeah, rubbish I mean, after rubbish after rubbish. You listen to that guy SBF. He doesn't even mm -hmm. pretend that he that his shit wasn't rubbish. I mean, that's the thing. So he has the he has the text thread with um, Kelsey. Was that the journalist's name? Uh, you know the the DM thread that got published. Right, right. right. And and in it, he's fully like, "It's a scam. I'm a scammer." Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> which is like, I low key respect. Like, yeah, like I don't believe this shit. Yeah. Like, um. And then he kind of rehabilitates it in the deal book interview. He's like, well, no, like parts of it are a scam. Like when you say you're going <laughs> to donate a car to a needy school or whatever, and you know, it's just very superficial. And it's not going to solve the fundamental problems. Stuff that I really want to do, like that's not a scam. Right. And everyone just kind of let him get away with it. But the stuff that they talk about, like, I'm sorry, I didn't know when I did this interview, I didn't know that San Diego Frida post a, um, a wealth tax. The second yeah. that's on the table, it's like, fuck you, dude. Like, you don't get to sit here and try to unwind the, uh, the government's ability to do things. At but the also, same time, you're accusing the government of not being able to do things. You don't get to sit government. here and try to control the regulatory mechanism of the government and make it so that they cannot <laughs> regulate you and your thieving ass. <laughs> and then say the government is unable to properly regulate things. And use that as justification to use your money to do whatever you want to do with it. The altruism thing there, whatever he calls it, that, that nonsense. Mm. I remember re I remember watching this thing with Bill Gates and I just, I, this one of these things that just pisses me off. And Bill Gates, you know, who, who paid like 8% tax or whatever it is while he, while he, while he built his, his, his Microsoft billions, right? Mm. Which he, he got because he, his mother worked for a public university, but anyway, whatever. That has nothing to do with taxes, I'm sure. <laughs> so then... He gets all of this money and he decides, well, fuck me. I need to do something with the world because, you know, I've run all the shit to do. I'm going to save Africa because how hard can that be? <laughs> but, I'm not, <laughs> but I'm not going to go to the UN because fuck them. What do they know? I'm not going to the Red Cross. Fuck them. They, do they know? None of them guys are as smart as me, Bill Gates. So Bill Gates goes to some country, some country and decides he's going to hand out these nets. And he's like, well, I'm a genius. So I got this figured out. Blah, 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 blah. He hands out these nets. And guess what happened to the poor guy, the delicate genius? They stole the nets. It never occurred to him that they would steal the nets. Oh, my God, Bill. Oh. I mean, I'm upset for you. People steal? Not... Fuck off. So, all right. So he's like, all right, well, now we're going we to got, we got, we took care of the, the stealing. That's no longer a problem. What happens next? They, don't, they use the nets for fishing because guess what? They mm -hmm. need to eat you, jackass. So they use the nets for fishing. <laughs> guess what happens? They kill the fish. So now he's made life three times worse for a set of people he don't know. They don't know him. And, he has, and all, of that, all of that happens because, he has, because although he's, he's an adult in computer terms, in human terms, he's a 12-year-old child. And so mm -hmm. he's not, he should not be, you know, he, pay your fucking taxes, bro. That's all you need to do. You don't need to fix, yeah. you don't need to fix a, save Africa, whatever it is that you think you can do because you're so genius. Just pay your fucking taxes like everybody else. 
I mean, it takes Simple. a certain kind of. Th- this is the thing. It's like this mindset. No, by the way, it's, it's, and just yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I I don't have any of this as a as a fact, right? I mean, some of this might be my interpretation of things I've read. <laughs> sure, sure. We're just we're just talking here. What is like the, the Twitch the Twitch stream like category? Like just talking. That's that's it. But like that, there's a certain kind of mentality that says like. The world has significant problems, like millions yeah. of people are dying every year from malaria or, or, or cholera, these kinds of things. Yeah. And the problem must be like there's there's 200, however many countries there are. There's international aid organizations. There's the U.N. There's all these things that exist for better or for worse. But like. I'm the one. Yeah. <laughs> no one's thought of this. I, I I'm the one. It's like it's like the girl who sees every red flag in the book and is like, I can I can fix them. Like, yeah, that's right. There's just like that certain level. I guess boys can be the way. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be so head or but like, no, no, but it's a shout out to her. Because I look, I've 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 been there. Like no shade. Like, <laughs> I've 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 had some. I can fix some sorts of moments. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I just, I don't under, it's that techno, it's that technocratic liberal quirk where they really think they're that smart. Also, why do you think you're that smart? Because, I, because that's what happens. That's what, that's just what happens. You, you, I'll you, tell you, what, some, I've seen you get enough some of money, the world. people get around you, they start to kiss your ass. Never I've underestimate never in the my value life. of ass kissing. I've I've known some very accomplished people who succeeded in some pretty rigorous academic environments, and by yes. normal standards, I think are above average intelligence. I don't just walk around saying people are smart. Like I don't generally, right. if, unless you're just like truly exceptional. Like very rarely does someone like that come along. But mostly, right. it's not even worth talking about because everyone's about the same amount of smart, and that's not even what's really material here. It's what they're doing with it that's impressive to me. Not like right. raw capacity. I, I, I'm a banker, right? And I, I've uh-huh. seen some associ- first year associates who believe that they can they could they could they could build a, a, a spaceship from a vacuum cleaner because all of their analysts are kissing their ass. <laughs> I'm like, how do you guys not have more self awareness? I mean I can barely keep enough toilet paper in my house. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like... self- because self awareness isn't fun. Who wants fucking self awareness? I don't, I I just, I don't, I don't get it. I want, I want help. I want many minds on a problem. I want collaborative expertise. I want to ask everybody in the world what's already been happening before I even start to begin to come to a conclusion about what might be a different course of action. And I just, it's, it's, it's the same like mental bug that causes people to think that they can go and give a million interviews. Yes. And it's going to work out for them. It's going to look, make them look good. Because people and you can hear how right? he talks. Like he's figured out, like he knows his legal strategy and he can talk around the details. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's not going to, I mean. And you know, his parents are lawyers, right? Only somebody whose father is a lawyer thinks he's smarter than a fucking lawyer. Only somebody whose father is a doctor is like, no, 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 I got it. <laughs> Don't worry. I got it. Trust me. Boom, boom. And by the way, my father's an economist. So if I'm giving you any solutions to the world <laughs> allocation of resources, it's because of that, right? I'm just, I'm just a full of shit kid. I mean, like, so yeah. I, I mean, my I mother's a psychologist, and I fully agree with my ability to dissect yeah. analyze people. Yeah, 
because you're just kind of like, no, no, I got it. Trust me. Most of this stuff you don't even need to go to school for. <laughs> Why? Because my parents told me. I mean, please. <laughs> it's just yeah. it's like Bankman Freed is a perfect example of just pure misallocation of fucking resources. These people wouldn't pay another penny in tax, but they would put billions of dollars into nonsense. He was employing his girlfriend. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Well, I suppose, but I mean, just think about that for I 20 mean, seconds. He took his money, he took money and spent on Giselle. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's what 30. I would have done when I was 17, by the I mean, way. I wouldn't so, ask a 30 year old to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> unless, unless you just, I mean, it's like the woman with Theranos, right? I mean, when you look at that, I mean, Elizabeth Holmes, right? That, that was just craziness. That one was great. To- because she had that and, female professor who she tried to get to be her mentor. Yeah. And the female professor was like, no, this yeah. isn't how science works. Yeah, There's exactly. no way that this works. Cells <laughs> are like a certain size and you right. need a certain amount to like pass through the membrane, blah, blah, blah. Like there's just no way this works. No. And then Elizabeth Holmes was like, this is a sexism. <laughs> There's a special place in hell for women who don't help women. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just, but again, like, why did they put the money in there? Look at the people who put money in there, like some, some relatively smart people. It's just, there's, you just look at the returns on investment. They are going to shit because too much, there's too much money slushing around. And you know, I'm always fascinated. I listen to these guys say about what, you know, what, what investors want. Investors want low taxes. What investors want is the rule of law. <laughs> they want the rule of law. They want to make sure that if you defraud them, they can take you to court. They mm-hmm. want to know that, like, they can invest somewhere where, like, most people are educated. And that, I don't just mean your workforce. It also means that, like, your nurses aren't striking because they're not getting paid. So that if little Johnny or little Billy or whoever gets sick, they can take them to a hospital. And not just them can go to the hospital, the people that work for them. That's, that's what investors want. They want to live somewhere nice. And so this low tax nonsense is just, it's, it, it drives me up a wall. But I think, I think the argument for it is really just, it's, it's in return on investment. It's capitalism. Capitalism is what, what, you, what you need to fix this. I, think. I also think that one big <laughs> narrative thing, this is a little bit adjacent, but the idea of high tax rates, I think that people really, people really think that if you say that the tax rate is like 60, 70, 80, 90%, yeah. that that is like total and not over the right. certain bracket. Like people don't understand tax brackets. Yeah. And I've been having this thought a lot about how nobody needs to make, no individual needs to make. I've been like trying to figure out what this well, number sure. is. And this is a number I'm about sure. to say sounds really high, but like I'm trying to be real like i'm trying to a say the number that i think even insane. rich people get like honestly diminishing returns over four hundred thousand dollars a year yeah well even in a big city even I, even I, in a big city because if you're two to four hundred thousand dollar a year earners you're based you're earning almost a million dollars a year you yeah. can't don't tell me that that's you're not very comfortable even in like new york I don't know, man. I I I I listen to a lot of hip hop in my youth. I, I've got a lot of ideas about how I'm going to. Okay, all right. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, if you had, like, no, if you made it really, really clear, I fundamentally agree with you. You know, like at a certain, like, I think that one of the liberals' biggest mistake is not properly under, like, explaining tax brackets to people, so that yeah. folks who don't want to raise taxes are forced to tell the average person with the average fifty thousand dollars a year salary why someone really needs to keep, you know. 
seventy uh, percent of money earned over a million dollars, or you know, yeah. like make and them make insane. that argument. And that Jacka people like Warren Buffett are going to die with billions of dollars just sitting doing nothing, doing nothing, and he's not going to be able yeah. to reinvest it because uh, that's just not how that works. Yeah. And so you, yeah. you know, it's it's a real. I mean, I, I think that there's a case to be made. It may be a case to be made that when you got to when you got to Reagan, maybe the return on investment on public in, return on investment on public investment maybe had had started. You started to get diminishing returns, right? Maybe the public sector had become become too big and perhaps needed some rationalization. But we're getting to the we're getting to the flip side. We're getting to the stage where they're taking billions of dollars and handing it to some fucking kid who who himself is kind of looking at you like, hey, serious? I'm gonna go live in the Bahamas. All right. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, that question about if he could leave the Bahamas had me rolling. They need to let. They should let just like a regular person interview Sam Bakeman Fried and see what happens. Yeah. Like so, he's just. But I, I would interview. I would just grab him, grab him, and beat him. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> and just see, see what we, I bet you would say something different. But I mean, George Steph. Uh, listen, people try their best, but it's. Yeah. You know, and I think about like these these strikes, these guys. You know, the the railway, they're just the profits. You can't. You're not able to reinvest it to get the. You, all you're going to do is do a buyback. At which point they're going to have to look for something to put money in. Then what are they going to put their money in? Some fucking twenty year old who wants to live in the Bahamas with his girlfriend and hang out with Giselle. I mean, fuck off. Just give yeah. give the railway workers a week's vacation. Come on. Yeah. Like, and I think. That's that's the argument the Democrats should make before they before they leap to the next the next argument, right? I mean, which is you know whether it's universal health care or any of these well, other. The Democrats things. don't want to like the Democrats don't want to they don't want to do it like they don't care they don't care they don't. And I'll tell you my other misallocation of resources, which just drives me up a wall. Is amount of money that is being spent in fucking Georgia is yeah. obscene, and I, I can't, I can't help but be offended. And it's the way disgusting. that the media portrays it, like it's some, like it's something we should all be proud of. Like they're spending millions of dollars on this stupid fucking race, and how much money Doctor Oz spent. But I mean, yo, are you serious? How it's, is that a good allocation of resources? It's disgusting. It's so disgusting. And when you think it back is. to the flip-flop on campaign finance reform that Democrats Ugh. did after Obama, it's even more disgusting. I just, how can you, how can people trust a system that's going to work for them? Like you're, you're telling voters you're going to, you know, bring transformative change to their lives and you're, you know, you're a crusader for the interests of poor and working people. And like, I think Reverend Warnock is a good dude. Like, yeah. As far as people go, like he seems like a good dude. He used to even talk about socialism before the Democratic Party told him to stop. <laughs> and, you know, like, how can you look at that money being spent? Like he, he's like the he's like the pastor of MLK's church. Like, how right. can you how can you see all that money that could be going to all of the different things that I know that he has exposure to through his parishioners and like not feel deeply cynical about yeah. the process. It's madness. I can't, I can't think of it. the amount of money that is being spent on these elections. 
Again, it's just misallocation of resources. To me, I would just look at everybody who's spending a million dollars in an election and be like, yo, you need to be taxed more. You clearly right. you, <laughs> you clearly have too much money. Yeah. Way too much yeah. money, bro. And you're not even spending it well. I mean, Peter Thiel spent, what, $30 million on J.D. Vance? Yeah. What? Yeah. And you're a genius? <laughs> you know well look it's so many of them do just decide to run themselves too i mean like yeah that's what he's gonna do next. i mean that's what kanye is up to right <laughs> yo listen kanye, kanye let me stop next. i mean that let kanye me not open up next. that whole can of worms go be here all day nicholas but look i'm gonna move through this queue but i appreciate you calling in Yes, and I, I think I think somebody needs to have a discussion about some of the some of your dating, some of your your da- dating clues you gave them. Not maybe the last one, but the one before. There was some, me. Some yes, it's a very it's very interesting comments. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, no, <laughs> I'm I see what I, I see I'm, I'm about, as um, good at dating as a pain, single pain thirty-seven year old would be. <laughs> Lol, no. Pain for <laughs> I'm kidding. Something I'm kidding. to do with paying for dinner. It was it was classic. Paying for dinner? I'm not no. supposed to be paying for dinner. No, no, no. It was, it was something. It, you said something, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" Somebody needs to ask her about this. Um, okay. Well, we're. I've, I. I I'm trying it. to I hold out for. Kate Willett had some funny tweets about dating, and I was like, "Oh, we got to do another dating episode." But it makes sense, I think, to wait for Valentine's Day. So I'm going to try to schedule <laughs> Valentine's Day. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, right. that that makes it seem less like I'm just blowing off, uh, wasting time in the middle of uh, all kinds of crises and more like I'm being purposeful and deliberate. So thanks for calling in, Nicholas. Let's give Clifford let's give Clifford one more try. Like, keep the faith, Nicholas. Clifford, Clifford, you have us waiting with bated breath. The whole room is pulling for you. We're rooting for you, Clifford, in Tyra Banks' voice. Clifford, the world wants to know. The world wants to know why you're in this queue, what you have for us, why you are like second in line. What is this mountain range in your profile pic? Is your name actually Clifford or is it like a big red dog reference? We're brimming with questions. The anticipation is overpowering. We're at the edges of our collective seats. Clifford, I don't, I don't, I don't know what will become of us if we never hear the dulcet tones of your voice. Why has this app done this to us, Clifford? Clifford, Clifford, we need you to come through to us, Clifford. Please, Clifford, if you can hear us. Clifford, if you can hear me, please. Don't give up, Clifford. Never give up. Okay, Mark, what's on your mind tonight? What, me? <laughs> yes, oh, my you. God, I was like uh, a thousand <laughs> times back in the queue. No, you're... Listen, oh, shit, sorry, my bad. Oh, I, I had scrolled back for Clifford, so to me, you looked like you were at the front, and this is a happy accident for you, so... Oh, my God. It's a happy accident for me, but I'm not so sure about for you. 
The, <laughs> why, uh, why is that? Am I going to regret this, Mark? <laughs> oh, my God. I just, I'm a ranter, you know. So you just uh, are going to end up saying, oh, well, thanks. Um, but listen, I wanted to say I'm uh, part of your fan club. You oh, are so you are so fantastic. It's unbelievable. And I know you've said some uh, uh, things in the last few episodes, but I have to say that I love that your hair has a life of its own. <laughs> Every time I see it, I'm like, oh, my God, there it is. And uh, I love it. So uh, don't. Uh, <laughs> so there's that. Well, I appreciate that, Mark. I, okay, I, there you I go. I feel very much like I need to get a haircut. There were some comments made. <laughs> no, like I, I don't have know. To get my uh, my haircut, which I've been avoiding since pre-pandemic. Uh, it's it's. I don't it's, I don't care time. anything about that. Just keep surprising <laughs> me is all I care about. That's all. Yeah. Oh, and I'll listen, the reason I was okay. What's okay? Where, what's the reason you're calling in? Here's the here's what's on my mind is uh, I wanted to talk about the difference between. I mean, uh, about the meaning of being left wing. Mm -hmm. And uh, this may get a little tedious, but I'll try and keep it short. Okay. But I think everyone agrees that the uh, the left, the, the uh, designation of left wing and, and those who are against the monarchy want to change that on the left. And ever since then, we've been talking about... Um, uh, the, the, that's the spectrum, right wing to left wing, depending on your political views. Now, uh, I don't think it was any um, uh, accident or coincidence or whatever that the monarchists said on the right. And to show you what I mean, we've got to go back in time several thousand years before the French Revolution to the ancient Greeks or Maybe really it's the, the whole origin has to do with why we're human or what our DNA is or something, um, because why are people right handed? You know, anywhere in the world, there's only 10 to 15 percent of the population that favors their left hand. And it doesn't matter what culture you're in or what's, you know, uh, it it's. Uh, that's the way it is. They even say that in the womb, um, a uh, the the right hand is the the fetus will suck the right thumb in the same percentage. Uh, it's just a thing about being human. Mm. But the ancient Greeks, they invented the Western way of war, and they. Uh, had soldiers they called hoplites, and they uh, fought in a formation called the phalanx. And this was a line of soldiers with men behind them who, during the battle, would push forward trying to break through the enemy lines. And the hoplites wore armor. They had shield guards, they had breastplates, helmets, and in their right hand, they held a spear, which they would jab into the enemy, trying to find a chink in their armor so they could wound or kill them. And with their right arm, they held a shield, 
that went from their shoulder down to their knee and protected the left side of their body. But to protect the right side of their body, they had to lean in to the soldier on their right and get behind his shield. And so as a result, uh, there was all this leaning to the right. And this would cause the phalanx to drift to the right during the battle. Uh, well, <coughs> the um, Greek commanders couldn't have that. You couldn't have your fighting groups drifting. So to solve the problem, they put their best and their finest soldiers on the right side of the line. And one of their jobs was to hold the line, to keep the line from moving. Now, this practice of putting your best soldiers and your finest soldiers on the right side of the line uh, led to the right side of the line being the place of honor in the military. And this uh, tradition has comes all the way forward to the present. For example, uh, we have... Uh, I think it's the 47th uh, Infantry Regiment, still active today, that has as its motto, to the right side. And they took that as their motto because during the American Civil War, they were so valiant and fought so hard that when the big review, a parade and review of troops came in Washington after the war, uh, the general in charge was asked where he wanted to put the 47th. He said, to the right side, where they belong. And so they took that as their motto. And that's why I think the uh, uh, monarchists chose the right side of the hall to sit in, because that's the place of honor for the military and, by extension, for the monarchy that controls them. Mm. So... Uh, Make of this what you will. Um, I wish it was some key, you know, you could say, oh, well, the squad, when they ran, ran left wing because they wanted to, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, challenge the rulers. And God, my God, if there was ever an ancient regime, it's uh, 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 Pelosi and Hoyer and Biden and the rest mm -hmm. of the relics up there. But uh, <laughs> in practice, they ended up being right wing. That is, they sought honors for, mm -hmm. you know, committee assignments or so forth. But I think, you know, uh, on in uh, closer inspection, you know, I mean, it, it, you'd have to say then that the uh, Freedom Caucus was in a left-wing tendency when it went against its uh, right. uh, re Republican rulers and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure <coughs> it, uh, but there, that's my rant about the left and right wing. Well, look, I appreciate some good historical analysis, Mark, uh, even if it doesn't necessarily provide any answers for how to get out of this directional quagmire. But I appreciate you calling in. Is this your first time calling in? Oh, yes. I'm a first-timer. Well, can I ask what part of the country you're hailing from? 
I'm uh, I live in Northern California. I live in a uh, commune since uh, 1986. Yeah. You've lived in the commune since 1986. That's when I moved in here. Um, uh, how big is how many people are in there? Oh, right now I think we have eleven adults and uh, uh, three teenagers and two tod- toddler types. Has the population been kind of consistent the whole time? Has it been like the same? Oh God, no! It's it's really changed. I mean, we um, moved in here in '68. Managed to, uh, yeah, yeah, I know, a long time ago. We're the Wait, last so, of the hippies, let me tell you. So what happened? And, so the commune has been there since 68, but you moved in in 86. Yes. Uh, in 71 to 77, I lived up just up the road. We had a commune up the road, but it eventually got, uh, you know, as most of the uh, uh, communities around here, it got... Um, uh, uh, um, uh, the powers that be found ways to get rid of us. I mean, yeah. what you know, the here at at our community, we're the last of uh, what was once more than a thousand people living in the these northern California hills here. Mm. And uh, yeah, but uh, uh. So, so what's I mean, yeah. how do you divide up responsibilities? Do most of the kids like stick around or do people move out? Do you find people coming back during the economic downturns and realizing that maybe their parents were on to something? Um, I, Bree, I would say all of that and more. The uh, uh, yes, we have uh, you know, it's an, it's an unusual situation. Um, because we managed to buy the place and, uh, now it's worth way too much money, you know, so that's all a problem in itself. But yes, um, currently we do have, uh, some, we do have a second generation and a third generation living here. So, uh, we're trying to, you know, figure out that whole thing about how you sustain something, uh, Through, through the ages, uh, you know, we, we come from a anarchist pacifist mm-hmm. uh, tradition, um, uh, uh, draft resistance and so forth. And so, mm-hmm. uh, uh, um, so I don't know. I don't know how we'll do. But uh, it's, it's, I will say that it is, I love. Oh, no. What happened to Mark? Mark, are you still with us? Mark? He's right about the powers that be. They don't want us to hear the end of this amazing anecdote. Mark, you cut out after you said, I love. We need to know what you love, Mark. Mark! We need to know what you love! (laughs) Oh, no. The Clifford Intelligence Agency took him out. LOL. Lysol. <laughs> Not the CIA. They're mad we're talking about their podcast and they've silenced Mark. What have, oh. what have they done? Oh, oh, Mark, you're back. Oh, yeah. Okay. After you said I love it cut out. Well, I just love that, that I live in the situation where there's all these uh, 
ages. You know, there's all different generations here. And uh, I, 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 but I want to go back again to your um, uh, presence on the web and how you are so clear and so bright and so. Uh, I, I just love your your webcast and your uh, ability to um, uh, talk to people. And uh, some of them, I understand, aren't so happy after you're done with them because you are so uh, clear that uh, as you put the questions to them, they sometimes they completely fold. And uh, as as we've seen, several of them have had to resort to, you know, whiny Twitter tweets to (laughs) deal with you. You are so good. I just think you are fantastic. That's very kind of you to say, Mark. I I appreciate that. I don't always feel that way, but it is um, affirming and really kind and really, really nice and reassuring to to hear that people are finding this stuff to be useful. So I I appreciate you saying that. All right. Well, thank thank you for fighting this long, good fight. And, um, you know, I'd love to please do call again and, and maybe we get some more anecdotes out of you about what life is like on the commune. My mother, let me tell you, my mother, that's really where she needs to be. She needs to leave this Armageddon house in Cleveland and really get back to what I I think are her core principles and roots as a kind of um, like rural. If she hadn't grown up in Cleveland, (laughs) if she had grown up in a more kind of nature environment, she would have been in a a more kind of granola Birkenstocky inclined person, but she has to find her way there from her urban roots. <laughs> so she often talks about aspirationally commune living. And you gotta, you gotta fill me in, Mark. You gotta give me some, 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 some nitty gritty details so I can start making this seem more like a possibility in my mother's mind as she prepares for her um, Ar- Armageddon retirement. Well, I, I couldn't wish anything better for her than to find a situation where. Uh she could live in community with people and uh oh, you know she would, uh, she would love northern california yeah well there's a um, we're uh on a website uh god what do they call it it's ic.org intentionalcommunity.org ic.org and uh they just show you all the intentional communities across the united states and a lot of them are you know not to be admired but uh you know, there's some of them that uh, are, uh, and... Um, well, what's wrong with the ones that you think are not great? Well, <laughs> well you know, here, we've never had a leader. It's always been by consensus mm-hmm. and by, uh, you know, we we meet together as a group and try to decide things that are in the best interest of the group. And it hasn't always worked well, and we've had our problems, and we have a history and all of that. But that's the ideal, right? Now, a lot of these, uh, some of these communities anyway, are, oh, my God, they're focused on uh, Chadwick, who is, you know, uh, some kind of a spiritual leader or something. And yeah, you're saying uh, they're, a little, they're a little cult. <laughs> that, that's it. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so... Uh, I certainly wouldn't go for them, but uh, 
Okay. Uh, Avoid avoid cults is the top line. (laughs) Avoid cults, exactly, if at all possible, in order to make your path forward in the world. uh, Well, thank you for that, Mark. You've been a real delight. Hey, hey, listen, I I like like I say, I love your uh, podcast. I love what you're doing, and uh, I just wish you the best. And uh, I'll leave you with that, and uh, thanks again. Thank you, Mark. Take care of yourself. Keep it fit. Bye-bye. Yeah, Bye-bye. you too. <laughs> I'll do my best. All right. Bye-bye. All right, TZ. Sorry, I, I skipped over you, but I think we can all agree that we enjoyed that frolic and detour. What, what's on your mind this evening, TZ? Testing, testing. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Okay, great. Uh, wow. Uh, so, first-time caller, long-time listener. Oh, um, I Thank you. I think I found this podcast, um, like, right in the summer of 2020. You popped up on my um, algorithm when you were still in its good graces and <laughs> have been a disappointment since. Um, I'm able to tell people that I get my news from podcasts rather than Twitter, which uh, garners me much more favor, so thanks for that. Um, this episode was good. I I was hearing about, like, FTX, but... I didn't know what it meant. Like, what, mm. is, what are we even talking about here? Like, I, and then when I was listening, I, my mind shot back to, like, that episode you did talking about crypto. But then I was like, wait, was it crypto or was it NFTs? And then, like, what is the difference? What? Mm. TZ, to be honest, <laughs> I, I don't know what to do because I, I wanted to kind of do an episode on this that was technical in nature. Mm-hmm. You know, what exactly was FTX supposed to be doing? What does it mean to have a crypto exchange? Remind us all what cryptocurrencies are in the first place and why they're useful. Mm-hmm. Also, what's going on with Alameda? What exactly is a hedge fund? Why is mm-hmm. a hedge fund associated with the crypto? Sh- and walk through all of that. But honestly, I kind of felt like blessedly Teddy wasn't that kind of an expert. Mm-hmm. Because we all know I've done several of those NFT crypto episodes. Oh my God. <laughs> and somehow none of it ever stays in my brain. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so I did appreciate, I mean, like, obviously we define the terms at the top, but, mm. you know, there's all of this other interesting stuff that's going on that is kind of more culturally perhaps relevant to the left mm. beyond just a kind of prurient interest in. In, a, in an ongoing news story. And, right. and it doesn't preclude us from getting into the technical details of what this is all about. But I suspect that there are podcasts with people who have more knowledge than me who keeps just like flailing around in this area. So mm-hmm. you guys know where to go if you want the nitty gritty. It's, it's not Brianna Joy Gray. But I heard like FTX and my mind thought to like Forex. I don't know if you remember that, but that was like a couple it was like maybe last year and it lasted for a couple months. And I'm like, so they're cousins. It's like, this is all like money laundering pyramid schemes, fake immaterial money Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It was very confusing, but that I'm just like, okay, so this guy, what is it? Freed? His last name is Friedman. Yeah. Yeah. Bankman Freed. Lock his ass up. Kamala style. What? Like, no more of these, like, <laughs> like no more of these pseudo intellectual, like Mickey D billionaires. Like we need less of them, less of them on the streets, less of them trying to inspire others to like 
rise up and steal from us. Like, no more. Like, we don't need... You're not doing anything. None, none of this is, like, material. It's, like, so bizarre that we're getting... Like, we're, like, running in circles, like, refusing to do anything that actually... That actualizes. And then, so, like, crypto becoming a... Like, cryptocurrency, like... Why is this so hard? Like, nothing should be that difficult to explain. Like, you, as you just said, like, you've had podcast episodes. Like, we are competent people. We're an engaged audience. None, none of this I should mean, be I mean, I also don't understand technically how the internet works. I mean, there are okay. things that are useful. Okay. That I'm not saying that I have to be able to wrap my brain around something for it to be mm-hmm. worthwhile. <laughs> well, what is, what is, hold, like, what is making crypto, like, what gives it weight? Like, what makes it a currency? And I don't know, I don't mean to be that heavy, but like, I get like old money was like rooted in gold and that's how we have like the money today. The thing know. about it, oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> no, no, okay, no, no, I don't even want to. Okay. No, no, but the, the thing as I understand it, um, mm-hmm. the thing about it is supposed to be that it is, incri- like it's not fungible. <laughs> like it's not yeah. encryptable. Like. You can, you can token. Like, okay. run the little computers that create all the environmental harm or whatever and make things <laughs> that are tr- completely trackable in a way that doesn't require you to have that central like organizing bank. And so you can trust exchanges with mm. people of things that are outside of the like dollar system. In a way that enables you to do things like move money around when your country has sanctions on it or yeah. avoid the law if you're, you know, if you're if your bank accounts are being frozen and right. basically have independence from the financial systems and all of the wrangling some of it bad that ends up happening. So a st- like there's there's this like freedom that people see in it, which I understand, but also it is not regulated. So people like Sam Bakeman fried can do shit like this. So ostensibly there shouldn't be like a problem with if he just sets up an exchange. Okay, I have some coins and old dude over there has some coins and we can make trades from our coins using whatever mechanism that Sam Bakeman fried has set up. The problem is that everyone's like giving him this money like a bank to trade these coins around and he's used this other enterprise of his to basically take that money and do things with it so that when people actually try to take their money out it doesn't exist anymore and there's a run on the bank and it's a fraud okay i wasn't clear on that that's crazy yeah lock his ass up lock his ass up because then you think about like i want to say nancy pelosi was involved in this but like uh again in maybe like 2021 they were talking about like how you if you receive over like six hundred dollars on cash app um like what is it? The they're gonna come after you? Essentially, like they're gonna start looking into why you're getting such large amounts of money transactions, and it's like, well, damn, why are we under such scrutiny for like relatively small amounts of money? But then, like, you can essentially money launder and like lie and scam on such a large, like million dollar scale, and it's somewhat favorable and you're like looked at as kind of like a genius mm-hmm. and you kind of like you get to like play like this like little whiny puppy like i didn't know kind of thing and mm-hmm. that that also gives into like why i think he i think there's a good possibility he going to jail because like what ceo or what you know head honcho type of guy is going to look that 
that like week. Like I don't, I feel like that wouldn't ref, that won't reflect well for like. It's weird because one of the articles that um, Teddy had the guest the guest had written said that mm. the betting markets only put a fifteen percent chance of him going to jail, and I was like, really? I need to go steal some money then. Like, <laughs> like okay. Uh, what is this rule? <laughs> you need to write a book then. You need to write a book and tell us the, re- of the rest of us how to do it. Because that doesn't make any sense. Like, it's it's not right. It's not right. And I don't like the focus on the image. Like, I keep saying this, but like the immaterial. And it kind of, like this week, I don't know if you noticed, like those AI things with everybody making their, their like uploading their picture. Um, and they're getting... Like AI generated. Art. Oh yeah, yeah. What what's that? What is that about? That was all over I, my Instagram feed. I didn't quite I, understand what was going on. I don't even. I don't know the name of the website, but essentially, like you upload pictures and it comes out with AI art. Um, it's like I'm. I'm sick of being like the only one scared of the internet anymore, and I'm sick of like. What, did like? Do we not remember 2020? Like, weren't they taking our photos and using them to, against us? Yes. Like, is no one like? Did we all just like? Look, are we I'm just scared. like fine now? Uh, look, I wanted to do a <laughs> DNA test so I could know who I was supposed to root for in the World Cup. Okay. Which period. of these African nations am I rooting for? <laughs> but, however, mm. I'm not trying to give the government my DNA, so I'm just gonna sit here and just if Togo's doing well, Togo mm. it is. Nice. If Senegal's doing well, <laughs> Um, yeah. that's where I'm at with all of this. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want, like, I feel like everybody else should be uncomfortable, as uncomfortable as, like, I don't know, fearful of, well, not fearful, but, like, hesitant to, like, upload your pictures into this thing. And then mm-hmm. also there's, like, people are talking about how, like, AI a lot of the time steals from artists and, like, mm-hmm. uses the artists as references without paying them. Mm-hmm. Which is what I thought NFTs were going to be. Like, I thought NFTs were going to be, like, uh, say you have like memes of yourself uploaded or like uh, gifts of yourself mm-hmm. or art, like you could monetize it through mm-hmm. NFTs. That's what I thought it would be, and I feel I still feel like that would be the better option for NFTs. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, um, oh yeah, okay. So I didn't get this from the episode. Who was like? I don't know if you can answer this either, but like the people that essentially gave their money and got scammed by this guy, would you say they're like? I don't know, like a vulnerable population or just like people who had money to spare. Well, that part of the issue was that like I saw several articles and again, I'm not an expert on this. If you're in the mm-hmm. audience and you know more, like raise your hand and I'll pull you up. But I saw several articles about how like disproportionately it's like a little bit of the first, the, the last people in are hurt the most mm-hmm. or like the last people to withdraw. And also people, you know. Basically, that a lot of like black and brown people and lower income people were disproportionately. Oh, surprise, 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 surprise. Yeah, and so I don't know how much of that is like meaningfully true, or if this is mm-hmm. one of those articles that just tries to like put, you know, like a take. It's like a take. Yeah. Like, so I, I like, I, you know, I, and I, how much of this is a problem in the grand scheme of all the terrible things that happen to black and brown people? Like, I, I just don't have any sense of what the scale of it is, but I did yeah. see several pieces about that aspect of it and there and there is something very like i mean the thing with ponzi schemes is if you get in early you're you're advantaged like you're fine Mm -hmm. you're fine until the money (laughs) runs out yeah so a lot of these like with the nfts when you had all of these celebrities going on tv talking about their apes on the late night shows or whatever or you have the larry david commercials and stuff yeah it, it what it feels like is people intentionally using their integrity and fame to give people a false sense of reassurance get people who are 
less sophisticated investors to get involved. Yeah. And then the rug is pulled out from underneath them while, you know, Matt Damon is fine and Larry like, David is fine and Gwyneth Paltrow so is fine. It's so sad. And I feel ba- like, I don't know, I don't know who, again, we just said that, but we, we don't know who actually is the most vulnerable and who actually got affected the most. But it's, like, sad because it's clear that, like, everybody wants a quick come up, like, these like impressionable people they don't have money so they thought that it would be like savvy to get into crypto even though i'm like why would you literally put money into something that is non like non-fungible like something that doesn't even exist like i don't like (laughs) like, the way the way i don't understand makes me want to cry (laughs) i just don't like you i don't understand you don't understand why are you giving your money that you like literally know that you worked hours for like several several hours possibly days worth of work you put I like into. how you put that like you weren't out look when I go to a casino I hate gambling for this reason because I'll be looking at $20 like I could have bought a meal <laughs> that's that's like a, that's like a sweater from right. the bargain bin right. at, for, at, at Urban Outfitters like you could have done damage with that $20 you could have done damage with it like, it might not be much but like I could very clearly see what I could accomplish with that $20 yeah. but then I put it on this blackjack table and now it's $0 and that yeah. makes me feel bad yeah so that the maximum I'm willing to risk in a gambling scenario is one Andrew's, Andrew Jackson that's yeah. it that's fair and that's how you keep yourself like like, have some, like, restraint. Like, I don't know. I just want to, like, reach out and be, like, like, I hear, like, people around me, like, obviously family. Like, it's, like, I want us to realize that, like, we're in this system and it's, like, decaying and it's, like, working against us. And, like, we shouldn't be, like, going after money grabs and we shouldn't be talking about how we can just, like, make more money rather than, like, community. Uh, I'm, like, doing air quotes. But, like, it's, like, we, I don't know. We, we're not going to capitalize we're not going to capitalist our way out of this and it's unfortunate that like not everyone can get that i mean i i do think the psychology of it is a little bit interesting though because it's the same way that like i don't know about you and your family but Mm -hmm. my people like uh the lottery oh my grandfather (laughs) i miss that man he used to play literally every day right and there's something about i think when it seems like the world is random and throwing you terrible hands all the time and yeah. everything seems like gambling anyway, even when you're mm-hmm. doing everything right. That, that like, there's something that's more appealing about just, like, taking that chance, rolling that dice. Because, like, how much worse can it get? <laughs> okay. You know, you know okay. like, yeah. I, 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 really, I do understand the psychology of, like, poorer people liking mm-hmm. to play a lot of more. Um, because, you know, as, ba- as as slim as your chances are, so are the chances of actually having the Horatio Alger story where you get yourself out of your class status. Like, you, mm. you're able to actually work yourself out and do the American dream and all that shit. That's also very unlikely. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that there's something to, you know, there are these success stories. There are people who made a lot of money on GameStop or whatever, or, you mm-hmm. know, or were able to ride some of these waves successfully. And you hear about it, and you're seeing people on Reddit, and you're seeing their success stories, and you think, well, why not? Like nothing else has worked for me, right. you know. I, I bought a house, and that even didn't work for me because I got hit by one of these recessions or something, you know. So I, yeah. I, 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 under, I understand why, but like it's all part and parcel of being a part of a system that is so that offers so few alternatives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I guess my last question is just, and this is you know very very important. Do you watch? white lotus 
honey, look. Ah, yes. <laughs> here. Of course, I watch White. Oh Lotus. my god! Wait, so are you like up to like up to speed? Like you watched uh, yesterday? A hundred percent. I'm ready for the season finale. Right. I am right, on the Aubrey right, Plaza right. bandwagon. Right. Right. Exactly. 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 It's serving. <laughs> I'm here for Jennifer Coolidge's ditzy self. Oh my gosh. I, I, I'm I'm here for her Aubrey Plaza's dumb but kind of uh, hunky husband. <laughs> like I'm here for every aspect of it. No, like we're the, we're the tech billionaires like that. Like we're the tech billionaires like Ethan. Where, why don't they exist? Like what's going on with that? And then this, well, this season is way better than last season. I was late to the train, but last season, like the way it ended, I was kind of like off put. I was like, um, this is yeah. like, like no happy endings for any fucking body. Like I, I no. Guess. Well, like, I mean, they're like that's the point. Like that all of these affluent people are supposed to swoop in and ruin all the lives of the locals and the people of color and all of that. Like, and I understand that, but it was still like emotionally unsatisfying. Yeah, yeah. This okay. time around, they haven't done the thing where they've made us care a lot about. I mean, okay, I should I should take that back. I guess the equivalent of like the black um, spa lady from mm-hmm. Insecure, mm-hmm. and like you know some of the the I guess the Hawaiian hotel worker guy that gets mixed up with those young girls yeah. is like the two sex workers, yeah. and I guess the the um, the sapphic. Yes, laser yes. Okay. queen. Right. Okay, and I feel bad for her. I end up feeling bad for her. I'm like, I want you to be happy, but like, uh, I don't know. Like, you kind of exploited her. She kind of was exploiting like her power. Like, I don't. I didn't. A hundred percent, she was. But those blazers. <laughs> <laughs> she is serving blazer and curtain bang. Look, yes. I'm just watching the show for looks at this point. No, it's so good. Like that's another part. Like the scenery and the like the wardrobe is like. Whoa, like I'm really like immersed. That was whew, like, and you don't notice what you're missing until like you uh, compare it to like the season one. And I'm just like, mm. so I, I think that season one got me hooked more on the drama earlier, and I didn't mm. like the ending. And I think that yeah. this season is going to end up being the reverse because okay. at first I was like, I don't know about this, I don't know why I care about any of these people. Mm-hmm. I found, um, What's her, is her name Valencia? The, 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 the Maitre D. Yeah, yes, our Sapphic yes. Queen. Yes, like, our Sapphic Queen. I found her to be less interesting as a character than the gay hotel guy in the first one. Okay, I agree. Uh, but it's changing now for me. Like, her thing, yo, I'm sorry, spoilers. If you guys aren't up to date, <laughs> I don't know what to do with you. Yeah. But her, like, little flirtation with the one of the sex workers is I'm 100% here for that. Like, mm. I like the, the the singing sex workers arc where she is, like, at least at this point, seeming to get what she wants right. by, like, kind of half-murdering the original pianist, LOL. Like, she she fully Cardi beat him. <laughs> yeah, she really, oh, my God. <laughs> All right, I'm going to for that. <laughs> no, no, that's good. She did. Because why did she, like, why did she give two pills and not even check either one? Like, she... She was, just like, <laughs> <laughs> she was like, let me just get what I need to get and get out of here. She was like, yeah, okay. All right. right. But I, so, I mean, who do, okay, but let me ask you this. You, mm-hmm. Obviously, in the first episode, they foreshadowed that there are about to be some dead bodies in those waters. So Ooh, okay. who do you think it's going to be? Okay, spoiler alert, but I think Cam is going to die. Cam and wait, his, uh, 
is the husband of Daphne the Blonde. Oh, oh, interesting. So under what circumstances do you think? Is he going to get tangled up, you think, with the gigolo? I mean, not the gigolo, the pimp? Okay, that's a possibility. But I also think, like, I don't know. We saw Ethan leave off really, like, the episode ended and he was real mad. I Mm -hmm. think Ethan and... I think Ethan might kill him. I think Ethan might kill Cam. Ethan I think doesn't he, have it in him to I kill think he Cam. Does. He okay. can't even screw his wife. Like, okay, he can't kill Cam. Hear me out. I think what was going to happen was Cam and, and, and his wife Daphne were going to try to kill um, one, like, um, they were trying to take his money. I think they're trying to take his uh, Ethan's money, but I think Ethan's going to flip on them. I think Ethan's going to kill Cam, and I think Daphne and Aubrey Plaza's character, I think they're going to be okay with him killing Cam. She, oh, you think she's that cold? She doesn't even care if her husband gets killed? Uh, that's not his baby, and I think she in it for the money. Absolutely. <sighs> Absolutely. Okay, okay what, but you, okay, but that whole thing with da- like Daphne and the assistant and that, like, little, little cockney British boy, you don't think, you don't think that 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 something's gonna, some death is gonna come from that because there was all that foreshadowing about how they're on the island and the old rich woman was found on the rocks at the bottom of the island. I just you know, have... it, and that mysterious British man, and you know he seems creepy as hell. He seems yeah. to be out for her money. Oh yeah, no, they're definitely like so that like evil little gay man and like his British like alleged nephew. Mm-hmm. Like they're definitely setting up. Um, what's her name? Jennifer Coolidge. Mm-hmm. They're definitely setting her up, but I think spoiler alert again. I think the husband, uh, like Jennifer Coolidge's husband, is in on it. Okay, well, we know Jennifer Coolidge survives, right? Because isn't she in that first episode finding the body? Oh no, 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 no! That's Daphne who found the body. Oh, Daphne found the body, and that's what. And I think that's the thing. That's why I think Daphne's going to be in on it because Daphne. I feel like it was fake. Like Daphne has another side of her. Like, and I think she was like set that up so she could be like, oh my God, you know, like kind of that sort of thing. But I don't think it was, I don't okay, think it was intended to I don't be think, him. okay, so I don't think Jennifer Coolidge dies. I think the whole point of White Lotus is that we're just going to follow Jennifer Coolidge all over the world. So Sounds I think amazing. there's no Down way she dies. That. Yeah. No. However, I, I'm inclined to think that the death comes from her scenario and I don't mm. know why it's just so ominous. Yeah, no, for sure. The thing is, I don't know, we need an art history major, and I'm sure no one has ever said that in history, but, like, if we knew the, the history of the, like, the art that they're referring, that they're referencing, mm-hmm. like, it would be a lot easier. Like, if anything, I'd be willing to say, like, Jennifer Coolidge's husband dies or something, but, like, Jennifer Coolidge's not gonna die, I don't think, I don't really think anybody else from that, like, who we've seen from her, like, her arc is gonna die. So, I, uh, did major in art history as my secondary oh! major <laughs> and i don't know what the hell so i don't know what to tell you <laughs> um you know we need art history majors for sure for sure my thing is like i was too scared to do it you know what i mean like you know what i mean um, no, i know what you mean because it was my secondary major because it felt impractical just to be an art history major so i double concentrated it which is a problem another... with the world around us and not us because you know we refer back to art when it's look everything i know about religion i learned so much about religion and history through art history Mm. because i ironically hate history but i was a history of science and history of art major because i just hate regular history because that's just like history of war and it's boring yeah but these other historical lenses 
got me learning some stuff, but not enough to draw any inferences from the art and the palazzo. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> look, this has been fun. I'm sorry if you're not interested in this TV show. You just had to deal you with You should this. be. You should be. Get into it. It's real good. You have a week to catch up before the finale. Mm-hmm. Get into it. It's only eight episodes. Get into yeah, it. It's not bad. Okay. Um, Keep the faith. Keep the faith. TZ, thank you for this frolic and detour. I've enjoyed mm-hmm. it thoroughly. <laughs> um, all right. Thomas or Tomas. Either way. Uh, hey, Brianna. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I want to bring up something that... As, as usual, I try to challenge the, uh, the listeners a little bit. Um, so I think most people on here probably agree on the uh, the villainy of the, the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. of Biden, the squad, even DSA Jacobin in regards to the, uh, the railroad workers. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think something that the left has avoided talking about is the problem with the unions and their right-wing character. Mm. Speak to it. Right? I mean, there has been, and this, you know, these are not the same unions as, like, in 1912, right? Mm-hmm. This is not the old uh, AFL. These are deeply anti-socialist unions that basically function as a constituency of the Democratic Party. And, I mean, obviously this whole plan, like, union leaders have been very open about it that they timed this because they perceived that the Democrats were going to lose big in the midterms and they wanted it to be a Democratic Congress to step in and force a deal instead of a Republican one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you say it openly, like, has someone been really explicit uh-huh. about that? Because I've seen imp- that, that implied. Yeah, no, no. I've, I've heard that be like explicitly like stated as like, this was our strategy. Mm. Like we thought we would get a better deal this way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, a lot of people have alluded to it. I mean, I think it came up in the episode in the episode with, you know, Max and Ross uh, and Justin that there were some gaps between leadership and rank and file. And then there's like a conservative nature to the unions. And then there is some reluctance from leadership to go on strike. And there's a, had an institutional problem where there's a desire to like the more money they're able to raise, then there's more of an investment in protecting those funds and not letting it diminish. Like once you get the the coffers full, there's more to lose basically. Like I think all of those both kind of like more ephemeral uh, uh, um, structural issues exist. Plus the more explicit political issues exist um, someone called in last week and talked about the battle for more progressive leadership in their union and how it looked optimistic. I know maybe that would start to change outcomes. I think all of that is right and fair and good, but it's it's a problem because we we the public, broadly speaking, we're talking about these unions like it's just like this one big force and it's like a force for good that kind of there's no space for any of the nuance there. So you get like, you know, you get the squad members saying, you know, we were, we were told to vote for the TA, you know, we were, the unions wanted this to happen. And it's like, who is that exactly? Is it AOC referencing 
the um, you know the grocery store union in her district that doesn't seem to have a lot of connection to the railroad unions. Are we talking about one of the 12 unions that might have said that they wanted this? Was it a representative body? Was it leadership? Was it rank and file? Do we know rank and file was represented? Like, and there's not space for that. And instead it's very easy to weaponize. I mean, maybe it's true. Maybe every, like the overwhelming majority of railroad workers very much wanted all of the progressives to vote for the TA. Maybe that's true, but maybe it's not. And it is frustrating not to be able to have a conversation about that. And I think that there are reasons why as a union, people are wanting to stand together and present a united front that they don't want to be having those kinds of conversations publicly, but it does enable folks to weaponize, like, this is what the workers want when it, that may or may not be the case. And I don't know. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And I think it, it points to, um, once again, the, the absence of a left, right. And not just in the U S but globally. Right. Because I mean, Lenin pretty like directly speaks about this, that there's a need for the sort of intellectuals to create a class by going to the working class, right? And creating a certain level of class consciousness. And so we can't really expect the unions to have anything but a conservative character if there's no left. Yeah. Right? Like even the sort of quote unquote like reformist groups within unions, the quote unquote progressive groups are all still right wing, right? They also operate basically on they're the same basis of being like better Democrats in one way or another. Is that, is that like uniformly true? Cause I, I've noticed I mean, that that's, I think comments, that's true of the whole left. In the comments of um, a lot of the videos I saw from last week, like my radar and also the, you know, the five eight episode on YouTube, I saw a bunch of people saying, well, maybe I have more in common with the left than I thought, like conservatives who are watching the videos. And I was thinking about, you know, what that means for our understanding of what's left and what's right and what's reformist and who's an, who's really an ally in all of this. Cause there does, there does seem to be this enormous appetite for, you know, if not a strike, then a more adversarial call out of Biden and what he and implicitly the progressives have set up for us right now for, for the real workers right now. And, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I think that you're you're right that there's plenty of reformist types, but there also does seem to be people who might not even be traditionally left who very, 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 very much wanted to pull the trigger here. Um, sure. But I think the question of does even that in and of itself amount to a left wing, right? Like, left, at least from a Marxist perspective, is... Uh, overcoming capitalism. And so if that is not the horizon, if the horizon is just like getting a better deal, which is fine, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not left, right? I mean, but I don't know that there are people who, if you told them I want to overcome capitalism, would be like, that sounds weird and I don't know what that is. But if you told them I wanted a worker-owned and operated rail system that 
use put it as priority the well-being of the workers and not profits for shareholders and a lot more people would be involved so i'm, a, I'm i don't know i'm on the but, fence but is about, that overcoming i don't think that's overcoming capitalism either well what right? is saying what is what is saying i overcoming capitalism even meaning to you when you say it yeah i mean i think the the question is i mean there's a whole bunch of aspects to it but like for instance the abolition of the commodity form and things like that right um bringing the the actual the question of capitalism to a political level like so basically rejiggering who owns and who works or whatever is not solving the fundamental contradiction of capital right it's just okay like uh what's that mondragon in spain they have like worker ownership whatever just still a capitalist firm like any other firm I'm sorry, you, you, you're saying that everyone's a reformist who doesn't phrase their goals as... No, I wouldn't, call them a, I wouldn't call them a reformist. I think that reformist means a specific thing that we are nowhere near. We, I wish it was just reformism. Like, I, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I'm, I'm struggling with conceptualizing what it is concretely that people should be after in your view. And I don't know that I would put that to anybody, much less people who are in the middle of a more existential labor labor struggle. Oh that, yeah, it's, like, it's it's not to blame the the union members, right? Like, it's not really their fault. It's the fault of the left or what we have for left, being unable to even understand what capitalism is, much less what socialism is, and thus being able to like actually work towards achieving it. Hello? Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to process your critique. What is the critique? For for instance, like basically what most of the left want to do, even purportedly so-called Marxist is they say, okay, well, we want some sort of social welfare program, be it Medicare for all or this or that, right? Which is basically just, we want different management of capitalism, right? We want our people to manage the capitalist state as opposed to overcome or wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Right? I, I think that a universal healthcare system as opposed to a state moderated health insurance system is a fundamentally different thing that isn't capitalism. Literally, nobody is paying for how. Well, health why is it, it not capitalism? The capitalist state runs it, does it not? Like in I don't know. Well, like the no. There's a different. There's a difference between saying there's a capitalist state that administers something and whether something isn't isn't in and of itself capitalistic. Like, are, are you saying that short of? Well, to, to be clear, that is what like Marx, Engels, Lenin, Luxembourg, Kotsky. That is what they all believed, right? They all, for instance, they vigorously argued against any sort of uh, demands by the socialists at the time for any sort of social welfare programs because they said, well, why are we doing that? That is just like giving up the horizons of socialism and saying we want the state to take, the capitalist state to take better care of workers or whatever. That's not the goal. That's just what Otto von Bismarck wants or what any other sort of Bonapartist wants. 
Those are capitalist policies. So instead of talking about what everybody else wants, what do you want? What does that look like? Are you able to say that in words? Sure. Um, you mean like what should the left do? No. What is your vision of the world? Okay. So the idea is the transitory dictatorship of the proletariat. No. Can you just use like, please, just words? What does it look like? Pretend you've never read a book and just describe it to someone using regular words. Sure. Um, Capitalism is not just the market. Capitalism is also the state. It's the government that we have, right? The bodies of armed men. That needs to be smashed. Can possibly theoretically be through elections. I don't know. That seems unlikely. What does it look sure. like? We we know you don't like the current system. So smash capitalism all sounds good. What is what is in its place? Like I don't want you to describe to me what it looks like because you don't. What you're saying is that you don't want the system of government that we have currently. And I don't know what the objection is specifically to. It's a bike. You don't want the bicameral system. The Senate is representative. No, no, no. no it's not. Blah, blah blah. But you don't want the the current. To me, there's like a difference between the structure of government and the economic system it adopts, you seem to be addressing both at the same time. Because yes, there's capitalism a- is not just an economic system. It's a crisis of society, right? Okay. And so it implicates, obviously, the government and all of that, right? I mean, there's a, I mean, this is, I don't know, this is like Marx 101, right? Okay. Well, I guess like, I'm, I'm too stupid to have read Marx 101, but no, also, my friend, you're, you're, you're not stupid. exactly doing a good job of explaining it. So since you've read all the Marx, I'm, I'm struggling right. to, with why you're, you're struggling to say in words what you're actually describing instead of just critiquing what everyone else is fighting for. What, sorry, can you say that last part again? What are you describing? Say what it is. You, so what, you, you know. Want me to describe what socialism is? I want you to describe what you're describing as socialism. Okay, yeah. And uh, why, for some reason, a universal healthcare system doesn't fit the bill? Yeah, because there would be in in socialism there is no state. The state does not exist in communism. I don't know that that's right. That's Lenin, Marx, Engel. Like Marx literally says, like under the dictatorship of the proletariat, the state will wither away. And that's when you have communism. Which I, is just, that's literally a direct quote. I'm not like messing around. Everyone, I mean, that's like, that's great. Right. Like, I don't know. That's not my dad. So I don't have to listen to what anybody has to say. All I'm saying is that doesn't, I, I, I feel like that's, and this isn't a criticism, but I feel like that's anarchism, which isn't necessarily what everybody's shared goal is. But the anarchists and the Marxists agreed on the final goal. The difference between the old anarchists, obviously the anarchists, they're much different, but the old anarchists and the old Marxists, the disagreement was on the necessity of the dictatorship of the proletariat. The anarchists said, no, all we need to do is smash the state, and we got it. And the the communists said, no, yes, we do need to smash the state, but then we need an intermediary pseudo-state called the dictatorship of the proletariat that will quickly wither away, and then we will have I'm our sorry, shared who, end who's, state. Who's administering the healthcare system? Who is administering the healthcare system and the dictatorship of the proletariat, or where, when, at what in, point? In the place known as the United States of America, who is administering this stateless healthcare system? 
that's unclear. We right. literally so can't know. All due respect, that I, doesn't cut. Well, I think it does because the idea is right. Like Marx pretty clearly says, like if we like two, if we like give too specific, like okay, this and this is exactly what it's going to be like. It is basically putting chains on the future, right? As we move towards that place of finally reckoning, reckoning with and attempting to overcome capitalism, we need to be free to pursue whatever ideas come up at the time. Things yeah, that but we honestly Thomas, can't know what you're saying is not freedom to pursue anything. You're, other people are, are actively pursuing things, and you're saying that that's reformist because they don't want to, quote, smash the state. They're pursuing lots of things that seem to be able to result in tangible benefits for them in their lives. But because they want there to be some entity administering life-saving things like a medic, a, a universal health care program, you're saying that that is you're, – you're being – you're actively critical, criticizing what other people's goals are without, in my view, articulating an alternative that seems to be well, something that someone can actually pursue as I opposed to just like catchphrases. I can give you an alternative in the in the interim in terms of like under capitalism, how would a Marxist organization like how would how would a Marxist political party organize, for instance, healthcare? Right? Instead of demanding something like Medicare for all, they would organize in civil society to provide all the immediate needs of the working class. That is what they did historically. They provided healthcare, they provided abortions, they provided food, they provided all of that stuff outside of the capitalist state. That's what they did, right? I, like, that's just historically, right? You say, you could say maybe, I don't like that. I don't think we should do that. I don't think it would work. Okay, right? But maybe. But that is what they did. So who, who, like, that's what, who, provide, who, social who took, who, who appropriated, who gained control over hospitals and incentivized doctors to provide care and in a purchase secured medications and the resources that people need to actually administer healthcare. Like what is the mechanism that's doing all of that? Who is doing all of that? Under capitalism, that would be what the party is doing to provide for people. Like the party I didn't ask has, you. I didn't ask you about under capitalism. I'm asking about your plan. You have. I fully understand that you have all the critiques in the world for everybody else's plan. I'm. Un, I'm trying to understand what your alternative looks like, realistically speaking. I, I, I'm not like trying to gotcha you. I'm like trying to understand what 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 it is concretely that you're provi- what you're uh, advocating for. Because I'm having a little hard time wrapping my brain around it. It would be hard to know. It would be some sort of free voluntary association of peoples. I don't know. I can't tell you more than that. I at least Marx doesn't say more than that. And I don't, I can't say that I know more than he does on that aspect because I, I don't. Um, but that's what I can tell you. Maybe it's robots. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know. Everyone decides to come together and help each other in that way. Or maybe it's something else. I, I have no idea. Could be. I, yeah, like, I, I, I don't, I gotta confess, it's not, I don't even know, it's not clear to me what we're talking about at at this point. I mean, I guess the question of whether the left is the left and it's horizons, right? If the idea is management, 
of the capitalist state, then at least by the old Marxist definition, it is not a left. Okay. Well, now we I'm could disagree. Sorry, I'm sorry, everyone who doesn't feel like it's left enough. And I hope that they continue to figure out ways to articulate the ideas about what would be truly left in a way that is approachable to people and you get people on board with their political project to the extent that it's a worthwhile political project. I confess that I'm struggling with understanding what, what you're articulating right now. I'm not saying you're wrong. I am just struggling with it. And if I'm struggling with it, I think I might not be the only one. So to sure, the, I, the left is not the left. We talk about this a lot about paint, being able to paint a portrait for what an alternative future looks like outside of the confines, the, the limited picture that's been painted for us by people currently in charge. And it's on us to be able to be persuasive in that regard. Sure. But I, I think, um, I, you know, I don't know that, I mean, I do think it is, it is difficult to try and understand and um, especially to go to get through all the, obscurations of what socialism is that have developed historically and by sort of attempting to understand how did what socialism was thought of, how did that change from 1912 to 1960 when to today and what does that that difference mean? And it's a project granted at this point Yes, for just intellectuals to figure out, and like anyone who wants to can be an intellectual, but it's not at the point where it's like, oh, okay, great. Let's start recruiting people to it. No, I don't think we're there yet. I wish we were. Okay. I just don't think we understand it well enough. Well, that's for sure. So <laughs> I appreciate you calling in, Thomas. All right. All right. No problem. Thank Take you. Take care. Keep the faith. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, there's like a double Jonathan here. And I'm going to say that given how um, we tend to get into it and the limited time there is in the, in the left and that's the queue, I was inclined to even skip, but that didn't feel fair. But I do want to be able to get through some other Well, I had a I whole know. long thing, but I want to have to deal with Thomas. Okay, so you're not misunderstanding anything. Like the problem with like you know how I use the words socialism to mean worker ownership and communism to mean public ownership. He doesn't like either of those things because to him in communism there is no state. And I've mentioned Engels uh, saying exactly that before. But here's okay. You ever heard the words everyone is special and sort of you roll your eyes, you know, because every, if everyone's special, nobody's special, really. I know what they mean. They mean everyone is unique. Sure. But your uniqueness is not unique. So you're not special if everybody's unique. So this is the same problem I have with this OG uh, vision of communism. Like, because when you say everybody owns everything, where you say that nobody owns anything, those are really just two different ways of saying the same thing. Yeah. But eventually, you know, when the rubber has to hit the road about a piece of land with lumber on it, about a mean of production, a decision has to be made to initiate action. And minus the profit mode of who makes these decisions, the nobody that owns anything? No, you can't have nobody. Everybody? 
Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Uh, no, but not everybody. You don't have every single American uh, voting on every county road. You have, okay, well, now we have a group. They don't call themselves the state. They call themselves the People's Council, don't they? It's the state. It's the state. That's what a state is. It's a single-party apparatus that does not brook competition, that ends up making decisions uh, with or without the consensus of the people. And that's just a state by another name. It's a sort of, like, that kind of communism to me is sort of, it's, it's a, you're handing me a blank canvas and calling it art because Lenin and Marx, they all do say, oh, they hide behind this. We don't know what the future is, is going to look like. That's the state and revolution by Vladimir Lenin. Uh, we don't, we don't, we can't know what future, the, the form, the future is going to take. Yeah, you're handing me a blank canvas and calling it art. Like, that's not an answer to anything. The spirit of communism is done. Remember when I was like oh, using hospitals as an example? Public ownership, like every, like a school, worker ownership where they all own it, and whereas Medicare for all was just liberalism, classic liberalism, the good, the better kind. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually, I wasn't, I didn't mean that as a criticism of the other two. In the realm of healthcare, I actually prefer the liberalism, the classic liberalism, the Medicare for all, whereas neoliberalism is giving everybody a healthcare voucher, which they never even touch. It just goes right to the insurance company, who in turns give it to the provider. It's a mess, right? But I, it, this, it's sort of a microdose that the classical liberalism, where a universal basic service that is publicly owned, think of that as like a microdose of communism. Every dollar spent on a universal basic service that is free to all the citizens is a microdose of communism, because you're just you're, and universal basic services also as it pertains to labor, is way better than labor organizing. You want it. Remember when I said that the reason that the job giver is that the employer is the rentiers because the bottom half of society has to trade their time for money? That's the only way the wealth of the society disseminates itself to the bottom half is you have to trade your time for money. You could make that not true. How? Universal basic services. Now you're not so hot. Now you don't sell yourself for peanuts because you're not worried you're going to die in the gutter. Mm-hmm. That's how you strengthen the negotiation, the labor. Now you have the railroad guy has to come correct if he wants you to work for a living. They has to come correct with time off and uh, child care and, and uh, uh, maybe uh, health insurance if the state doesn't provide it and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Not having to sleep in those cars on the rail tracks. Yeah, not yeah. It, it's you, you're putting power in their hands. So okay, so I brought uh, other Jonathan go ahead. Jonathan K up as well because oftentimes. You guys play off each other, interestingly, in the comments, but not in real life. And I feel like we might be able to um, be more efficient with our time to have you both up here together. So I want to invite other. What do you think about that, Jonathan? To unmute in discourse here. I actually have no argument with any of that. Like that's, uh, I think, very, very extremely well said. You know, and in in fact, uh, you know, the a lot of the economics that I, I've been involved with disseminating it makes pretty much exactly that point. Like there's no better instrument for, you know, distributing mm-hmm. resources and power uh, to, uh, you know, to the bottom half of, of the population, um, you know, the income spectrum mm-hmm. and, and giving them the leverage they need to counter the power of capital than the state. The state is 
the instrument for for delivering that. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, he's absolutely right. Also about you know universal basic services, job guarantees, housing guarantees, things like that. That is the leverage that people need to be able to say, you know, f off if they need to, and for there to be a level playing field in these negotiations. And there was a time in history, you know, particularly in Europe, the UK, uh, when, you know, this was more or less the case, like after the after the plagues, when there were more job openings and uh, then people and people were trying to industrialize, uh, they had the great enclosure uh, where they they basically privatized the commons, where people were were, uh, you know, share using the commons to grow their own food, to farm, to you know, have a subsistence lifestyle. They had loads and loads of holidays and they would work when they felt like it, mm-hmm. you know, and they had to, you know, capital had to really entice those people if yeah, they wanted them to the real wage labor from yeah. Oregon or wherever he was from. Like it, it, it works at great and small scales. And the criticism though is like, it does its scale. And that was my criticism of that. OG communism is does it scale. I don't know that it does. Like, say that everybody in this room, we all started a worker-owned company right now. Like, mm-hmm. all of us. We're all, we all, one worker, one share. Like, uh, in the interest of dialectics, we're going to get ahead of the criticism. You're like, it's a shit idea because all shit ideas are shit. Yours, mine, everybody's are shit. Dialectics goes looking for the ways in which your own ideas are shit. So what's the problem? The problem is the, if we have an idea that, to invest something and move forward, uh, we, you know, we have to all agree. And the older people that are on the, looking down the barrel of retirement might, might not want to put up a big investment for a return they're never going to see. So it's harder to get consensus. It's, it's less agile and doesn't have as a clarity of vision of like a sole proprietorship. Now, maybe that's worth it. But if you don't admit that that's what's going to go wrong with it, then you're, you're, going to see, you're not going to see how it's not going to scale. Or, and, and then the purpose of the over system changes or because you have like your substrate, which is how the law works, they're, they're how it relates the, your worker to ownership. And then you have your over system of institutions. And the job of those two layers is to check and balance each other. So if you change the substrate, like the purpose of your law, uh, your institutions completely changes. If a capitalist system, you need to keep the bottom from falling out. If you have a socialist system, you're that's already kind of oversharing as it as it were which is why i think right now worker owned companies shouldn't pay you know corporate tax they're already oversharing next to their competitors but then your purpose might be to aid their growth rather than to stymie it right now we should environmentalism might stymie growth but that's worth it because we're in a capital uh, driven paradigm and like a social paradigm where people will be cutting themselves up with bad environmental policies because that's their stuff it's their land it's uh their kids that have to grow up on it then you have to make sure that the nation is growing because it's not it's going to lack agility to grow itself i would agree with most of what you said except for the job guarantees housing guarantees fine universal basic services fine i don't like the word job and guarantee together that's one of those mmt things i'm not all the way on with because it reminds me of maoist china you can't have like 12 dudes in a Politburo deciding every single thing, like where every grain of rice goes. I've heard estimates of anywhere from 15 million to 60 million people starved to death because you thought you could have 
12 dudes deciding where every grain of rice goes. Right. Well, that, that's not what a job guarantee is ever yeah. supposed to be. It was supposed to be a decentralized, localized thing to make sure that uh, decentralized productivity. Like yeah. I mean, but it's, it's meant to, you know, basically guarantee, A, that, um, you know, people remain productive and get those universal basic services um, and, you know, to maximize the, the potential productivity of the, the labor force. Um, but you know, that it also sets, by the way, a wage floor that completely makes a minimum wage unnecessary. So if there's a job guarantee and you're guaranteed this, you know, the, this kind of wage floor, then ultimately no private employer can get away with offering less than that in terms of benefits and services, because then people can just go to their local job guarantee office and, you know, get a job doing something that's needed for society and the community and you know, get a get a better deal than that. But that doesn't that doesn't talk about a minimum wage raising and even this uh, union uh, negotiation for higher wages. Doesn't that make you grind your teeth a little bit, knowing that unless you fix the sort of substrate, that that is going to bounce into the pocket of the rentier? Yeah, of course it does. Like, and that's that's also like I didn't actually originally call into talk about anything like this subject me at either all. but i just but. had to deal with that that was like making me crazy all right everybody but i mean this is a, it's a big doctor. subject i mean thomas yeah <laughs> I, I get i'm not trying to shit on thomas like i know you know you, you read marks and you, if it hits you it hits you you know I, I only made it to chapter 16 of das capital it makes me want to blow my head off but that's it how it that. is <laughs> Uh, chapter 15 was very interesting. It's called Machines, and it's, Andrew Yang is right about that. Like, they are automating us away. Our necessity is just going away. Well, look, I, I, want every, I appreciate the response, the engagement with Tomas, but I also want you both to feel free to, you know, free yourself from that and say what you want to say. So could you want to uh, briefly, um, Jonathan, uh, peace sign, yin yang Jonathan, uh, if, you, if you want to summarize what you have in, initially called in. Well, what, what was yes. Yes, yes, about pain and suffering. No, so I'm half kidding. Uh, pain is like you burn your hand on the stove or you have a headache. That's pain. And that suffering is the other kind. It's when, for the purposes of this conversation, let's say it's when you have un- unfulfilled desires. Unmet expectations is another way of saying that. And you and the, at, the, at your bad faith today said something like, when are we going to stop? How did you say it? You said, when are we going to stop? being disappointed when are we going to stop being surprised yes but what you mean by being surprised when another squad turns on you or these corporate billionaires do something shitty when are you going to stop being surprised is when are you going to stop being disappointed but you can't be disappointed if you didn't have expectations to not be met i mean you can have desires that are like sort of pie in the sky but it doesn't really hurt you until you sort of expected it to be there and then it's not pulled away at the last second a betrayal you never saw coming but I never, I, I never had any expectations of the squad, so I was never disappointed of them. And then the reason I never did, and this might sound weird as a deal-breaking criticism to this uh, audience, but I never had any expectations of any of them because I never heard any of them say anything interesting. They just have a set of buzzwords that's slightly to the left of Hillary Clinton's set of buzzwords. Clinton will say employment. Even the Fed chair will say employment, full employment. And then, but they'll actually say labor, you know. The one will say education, and the other one will actually talk about so, students or uh, look, something. I, I respect that perspective. I, I don't agree with it. I think that 
many of them were saying things that were meaningfully different and frankly still are the kinds of things we would want them to say. The different, the problem isn't with what they say, it's what they're, with what they're willing to do and them stopping to stopping saying the good things once they're in office or once they're actually, when the Democrats are actually in power. So I, I actually don't, I don't they, think they it is true. That they, no, they but I don't didn't. think Go ahead. I, you seem to think that they didn't say anything, especially radical or which indicated that they would behave. No, they didn't show any evidence of thought of thinking for themselves. I, I disagree like, with that. I, I disagree with that. And I think the issue isn't what they articulated or evidence of thought or anything that came out of their mouths. It's that actions didn't match it ultimately. There so were no actions that, to to ba- like there was all based on what they didn't have a track record for you to expect them to do anything. There was no well, track no, record. They, they weren't just... in Congress. So, no, they didn't have a track record. AOC was 28 years old when she came into office. No, there wasn't a track record. But but there was words and commitments as to what she was going to do that were, I think, meaningfully different than what other people had committed to and were genuinely more adversarial than what other people had said they would do. And her financing was meaningfully different than financing of other people who had made their way into office with the Justice Democrats and all of that. And they had a stated agenda. And so people gave her the benefit of the doubt. And I think that was perfectly legitimate and fair for them to have done. And so then her actual actions didn't bear that out. And, you know, there was those early days and the protests at Nancy Pelosi's office. And there was some evidence that there was going to be something meaningfully different. Then they all got corralled into line. So I, I respect that you never had any high hopes and that's fine and good. And I guess you have more insight than the rest of us. But I also don't think it's wrong for people to have looked at the evidence, seen something that was genuinely different, a departure from the norm, and to have wanted there to be a better outcome than there actually was. I don't think that makes anybody... I don't think it's a problem to be to like have seen like there was there was evidence that people weren't deluding themselves. It wasn't just like a PR exercise and they were like, like, oh, she's Latina and charming. Like that wasn't what the left was doing. She was she was doing more than saying the right the right words. They were words that were meaningfully different. However, the actions didn't come and back them. And that's fundamentally the issue. And I think that, like, honestly, that's that's also you kind of touched on it in the conversation with Sly, um, which, you know, is why I was going to say, like, I wouldn't have objected if you'd skipped over me because, like, the content of this calling was really, like, got the wheels in my head turning. But, uh, like, I think you, you really hit on it. And this is also why, I, you know, I do love Ryan Grimm, but I, I sometimes want to grab him and shake him uh, is because, like, he was kind of making that, that same argument with the RBN crowd and he was making it on David Sirota's call in a few days ago. It basically, oh, the left just, there's no organized left in this country and they just were up against so much power and that's why the squad had to do things exactly the way they did and so on and so forth. And by the way, like it, like David Sirota pushed back admirably on, on that particular thing. Like, these people need to let go of the notion that they can be in the room where it happened. That's not that's not their job. That's not their role. And they are never going to get what they want that way. And I think what people keep missing, which you never did, and you got the whole time perfectly, is the reason why Bernie was able to assemble such a massive base of support in that 2016 was... The very simple fact that he said he was going to take on the millionaires and the billionaires and the oligarchs, and he was going to fight, okay? He was going to fight against those power structures, and, like, if you want an organized left, okay, you give them a fight to rally behind. You give them something to rally behind. You would be amazed 
how quickly you could organize institutions, you know, powerful coalitions, and people that are ready to get off their butt and do something by keeping those issues salient in people's minds, keeping that anger and that outrage and injustice salient in people's minds with that kind of pushback and spectacle. Like, that had to be absolutely part of it. And that is what everybody thought that the squad was going to do. And instead, they threw it all away to try and be in the room where it happens because... like, I, what kind of baby brain stuff is that? Like, that's what, that's, that's what these people have been trying and failing to do for, you know, well-intentioned people uh, have been trying and failing to do for, you know, as long as, as, long as I can remember. I'm yeah. sorry I missed most of that, but my question I had before I cut out was just, like, what would it take? I've heard you ask that question about other stuff before, though. It's been like, what would it take for you to raise your, I guess, not lower your expectations, but to raise them, you know, it's, it's sort of ironic to be like, oh, my expectations, were so I'm disappointed. So I'm going to raise them. Yeah, but you raise what it takes to support somebody to get into office, rather than lowering them for what that you expected them once they get there. But I don't think my expectations were the problem that they didn't fulfill my expectations were the problem. Like, I, you yeah. can't. You yeah, going can't. back to force the vote. Like that, it never occurred to us when we suggested it that they would say no to that. Exactly. Like what, we were not. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't. Jimmy Dore didn't wake up one day and say that cunt bitch AOC. Fuck her. Why won't she? Like no. It was like, hey, there's a cool idea. Force the vote. I wonder if all of our friends will get on board. And suddenly it was like, you're the devil for suggesting it. You're trying to ruin everything by like talking about right. this thing. You know what I mean? Like people forget. Like this was a trajectory. It was. We were shocked. By all the pushback. We were shocked by the heel turn that people like David Sirota, sorry, um, Sam Cedar made. Like, he was for it and then he was against it. Like, it was it was a crazy few months. And then it got, like, one six just blew it all away. Like, it was it was insane. So, like, I, again, like, I, like I, I'm not saying that if AOC and the squad had gotten to office and fulfilled just, just, the level of expectation that was set as justice Democrats wanting to be adversarial, saying things about Joe Biden and I shouldn't be in the same party. Like even, even if that had been just like doing some protests in Nancy Pelosi's office, that level, I think, you know, it's not going to change the world. It's not going to end capitalism per Tomas, but it, it, it would make, I wouldn't be sitting here upset with these people. I'd be like, great. We're there. We're all in it together, fighting and trying to solve the bigger problem. And they're clearly on my side. This is the one but thing AOC said I did like that. I had a real expectation that got let down. She was talking about New York developers. She was like, all this money goes to these New York developers so that they can open a bourgeois boutique like that sells dog handmade dog collars or something. The business goes out of business, but the landlord doesn't care because they just got a taxpayer sponsored infrastructure upgrade to their building that wiped out years of losses. And I was like, she just saw it. Because the Democrats do this more than the Republicans. Tax and spend Democrats, right? They give free money, but every dollar that's invested in a municipality goes into the hands of the deed holder. And I saw her see it for a split second, you know? And I was like, oh, she, she gets it. She gets it. But then, like, immediately afterwards, she'll say something I can't remember what off the top of my head, but to show that she doesn't really get it because her solution was just to – she didn't have one, I guess. You know what I mean? 
if yeah. the, the the little event was like pearls before swine. Yeah, look, I like I I I was covering AOC on the 2018 beat. I listened to her say a lot of words, and the, I'm not arguing that she stuck the landing at all, obviously. But I just it's it's a kind of a silly argument to have because who cares? We're all up in the same place and not like not liking what she's doing and the actions speak louder than words. But at the time when all there was was words because she wasn't elected yet. I think it was perfectly legitimate for people to have hope. So, again, I don't see the utility, I guess, in sitting here and critiquing people's investment and in the possibility of someone actually not being a liar. Like, well, you, you asked the question on the show today. You said, when are we going to stop being surprised? All I'm doing well, I'm not, is I'm asking that question. About, no, but I'm not talking about me or us. What I'm talking about is the broader world that still really honestly thinks that there was a chance of passing the seven-day sick leave. I'm not talking about us. So the problem is, why do most people who aren't us see billionaire philanthropy as a good thing? When are most people who aren't us going to stop start stop seeing the, the the squad as like meaningfully adversarial to the Democratic Party instead of pawns that enable them to pretend to have a progressive bone in their bodies? Like that's not, that's a rhetorical question about how we get the rest of the world to see the world the way that we see it, not about us. And that was the best part of the episode, too. Like that, and not just because there was the, the shout out to us MMT literate people, but the fact is that really, like, what it really was, was you did, you did get at the crux of the issue. Because, uh, you know, and also, uh, what's his name? The guy with the, with the I Love New York, uh, avatar got at it, too. Like, Nicholas. the fact is, like, all of this government money printing and stuff like that, it's going to these, somehow or another, it's getting redirected to these people. Uh, who have nothing better to do with it than buy NFTs and and uh, and Hunter Biden's art, and uh, meanwhile, like it's it's really like it really is designed to prop up the capital order, and uh, at the end of the day, these billionaires are are largely buying out uh, the instruments of government and kind of flipping who's in charge of what and who's doing the planning of uh, of the economy and society and everything else. And if you look at what they're doing, uh, you know, I think most people, if they saw what people like Sam Bankman-Fried are doing and what their vision is for the future, they'd be like, no thanks, no deal. But it's being taken out of people's hands. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's the big problem with a lot of these billionaire philanthropists is that money equals power. And that power is kind of a zero-sum game. And it's being taken away from ordinary people. It's profoundly anti-democratic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, essentially it's, it's uh, taking us in the direction of what they may consider a paradise, but we consider a hellscape dystopia. Yes. Yes. And, and I will say this. I mean, to take this at that, that we're talking about the utility of, like, the squad types, again, it doesn't in the capitalism for them to be saying these kinds of things. But would I prefer a world where in the middle of the Sam Bankman free fiasco, they take the microphone and make the case for why we need to tax the rich and why philanthropy is nothing but a PR move for some of the most vile people in the country that are actually co-opting democracy for all the talk that we're talking about democracy being at risk and at stake. And the Democrats are running midterms on this kind of a shit. Would I like it if they, did a little, a little bit of rhetoric around these moments to try to help help shift the public's understanding of what's going on here on a bigger structural level. It's yes, not in their heads. It's in your head. You're better than they are. No, in this, I'm like- telling you. I have heard them say those kinds of things. 
So to the extent you're not saying it now, that's it. a that's a choice that they're making, not a not an ideological misunderstanding. I have heard AOC talk about the value of taxing the rich. I have heard um, Rashida Tlaib talk about these kinds of things. I have. So, like, I believe you. It, you know, like that. It, that I mean, like, I'm not saying, trying to give them credit for something because they're the whole point of my critique here is that they're not talking about it now. But I don't. It, it's not like a. Um, AOC's, I don't believe that AOC or Rashida Tlaib are sitting around thinking, gosh, if only someone had gotten in Sam Bankman-Fried's ear and told him to spend all of his billionaire money on the right things. That's the only issue, that he just needed a little more guidance. If I had billion dollars, I could do a better job than Sam Bankman-Fried. I don't think that's where they are at all. At the same time, they either are too preoccupied with other things or persuaded not to talk about the things that I would like them to talk about or just they're, they're – their priorities have skewed in such a way that they just don't see the ways in which I think they could still be useful given the platform that they have, even if they're not able to, you know, independently derail the TA, for instance, which they couldn't have. I don't think that they should have voted for it, but it is true that they would have passed without their votes. Yeah, no, the adversarial spectacle is the thing. That's what they have the power to do. And, you know, I I get annoyed with, like, a lot of the people that go too far in the other direction and have this kind of doomerist attitude. Why are you even paying attention to what they're doing? Like, they had weapons, and they left them lying on the table. Like, these are, like, if you think that capital is going to sit still while we work to gradually build institutions and build power, like, you're you're deluding yourself. That's never going to happen. Like, you have to hit the ground running, and if you start from people making a certain level of spectacle, you can start moving and you can start building on that and pushing things in the other direction. And Republicans have the whole country talking about drag queen story hour for no reason. Like they just woke up one day and said, tells you what to think about taken up by the squad being adversarial. You know what? Nobody be talking about drag queen story hour. If that's what was going on, I promise you that they, 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 they like took an ad, like a bad lib out of a hat. <laughs> and said, no, this is what we're all going to talk about. And it fucking worked because they just stuck the landing. So, like, I don't want to hear – I don't want to hear anything about the power of the pulpit not being useful. I do think that's one of the few things they actually have power to do, which is why it's so frustrating when Ryan Grimm and some of these others diminish the value of those kinds of rhetorical efforts. You know, there's, like, an acknowledgement. Ryan, Ryan will say, you know, there's only so much they can do. And that's partially true with respect to how much their votes can matter in a, in a situation like this in terms of actually affecting the outcome. But there's a complete diminishment of the chip by chip, piece by piece reorientation that needs to happen for people to actually be able to see who the real villains are in our society when they don't take these kinds of opportunities. And they'll and he'll he'll say like, oh, there's a symbolic value in in Republicans being villainized for voting down the seven um the seven dollars the seven sick days but everyone knows republicans are villains like democrats don't need another lesson in how republicans are villains they need a lesson in how democrats are fucking villains and that's the yeah, lesson I mean, it's like never get meat in a dog enclosure and expecting them not to eat it yeah since you said it was about crypto, can I just say something about crypto, about the whole thing that was supposed to be good about it is that it's a divestment from the dollar. It's a breaking up of dollar hegemony. But these brokerages and exchanges are the opposite of that in the first place, regardless of what the 
charismatic or uncharismatic or narcissistic leader chooses to do or not do with their profits. The thing itself is the opposite of the of what is good about cryptocurrency, like and how cryptocurrency could be a part of a blitzkrieg against the establishment is not going to be done through an ETF or an offshore exchange or a broker who's like got a portfolio full of different cryptos that they're going to balance in an effort to take the alpha out of the next boom, you know, because that's all that is, you know, in trading, there's like there's alpha, beta and delta, right? Alpha, it's the difference between speculation and investment. Taking the alpha out is pure speculation, like Peloton or something. You're just going to get that initial rise and then sell at the top. Whereas investment is like your old school Warren Buffett stuff, where you actually look at the company and that you want it to make profits into perpetuity, and you're going to ride that for a while. Not just the first boom, but the second and the third and the fourth. And then delta is the that well, it's not just the down; it's the up and the down. It's sort of like the volatility like the, how the thing is going to track with everything else. And then you're going to bet on the futures based on the up and the down about that. But like crypto as it is right now is a purely speculative uh, instrument with just a bunch of way to, it's basically a new lottery. It's just a way to distract that people love it. they they think they're going to be a millionaire. Some, and some enough, just like the lottery, enough of them are, but it serves the same societal purpose as the lottery. It just gives people something to do that's not thinking about anything else. It's actually working against revolution. It's anti-revolutionary in its current form. Whereas what excited people about it in the first place was that it could have been pro-revolutionary. But it only is that insofar as it busts up dollar hegemony. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about it being pro-revolutionary, but uh, that's the, the other stuff I, I kind of... The, the other kind of stuff I, I, I do agree with. And I got to say, like, I don't know how well you remember those old crypto episodes you did. But uh, one of the things, like, I remember listening to those things. And I remember you saying, that's stupid when it was explained to you. And I'm like, she got it just fine. <laughs> like, she yeah, absolutely yeah. gets everything there is she needs I miss, to What was that about. woman's name? Maybe Carol? Was her name Carol? She used to call in here sometimes. Um, I think she was maybe Somali. Uh, anyway, she she was a she was a computery person, and used to also be up in here trying to explain things to me. And yeah, I I don't know. When Jonathan, you think you don't understand things, you not- really do. Just like when you're with Thomas, you're like, wait, who's doing this? No, you get it. You get it perfectly. Who is doing this? It's not the state. Oh, but yes, it is though. You know, you yeah, get I it. Yeah, I just I I really resist. Like I, I understand that there's this perception. This critique of reformists that like they're like, you know, kind of afraid and they're not they don't have like a radical spirit and they there there's a kind of conservatism, like a, a, a constitutional conservatism about it. Like if, if I, I I know a lot of things about myself that have limitations. That's not that's not one of mine. I can be sold on almost anything. I don't have some ideological resistance to anything. However, I need you to be able to explain it to me. <laughs> I'm, not just a gonna, picture with I'm words. not just gonna jump on it because vibes and I want to sound revolutionary and cool. Like I just I I don't have any problem with anything. I, like that, I'm not, yeah, and that's my problem with Marxism, anarchism, analysis. whatever. Like I, that doesn't bother me. Like I just need you to be able to make it make sense to me in my brain. 
That's it. Well, and what's more, like if there's <laughs> if there's situations where these kinds of things have been tried before mm. uh, to some degree, or some aspect of them has been tried in history, and you can examine those things, which you know this kind of like anarchic situation has been tried in numerous places. Uh, you can see, okay, that's kind of a non-starter. Uh, but I mean, it also kind of brings me back to the Sam Bankman-Fried thing because you know, sort of his vision with these like crypto exchanges is what they've essentially done is go back to early 19th century America when there was no FDIC protection, mm-hmm. when there was no banking regulations, and all it's the paper money was was basically printed banknotes with different values, and these people could make all these speculative bets. With your money that you deposited, and uh, you know when it uh, when it goes bust, they can be like, "Sorry, widows and and retirees, all your savings are gone." Yeah, tough for you, but uh, I'm going to retire to my mansion uh, offshore. Yeah. That's and, up and down now. That's pensions going up, and the 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 whole, the pensioners yeah, when, when it turns around and goes down in the century America years. when there were no regulations to stop it, yeah. and that's basically what he wants to go. Too, he's kind of making this like an old school banking institution from the early 19th century with none of the modern regulations that were put in place to at very least slow that process down. And yeah, that's what he wants. He, he, he was wants describing, I was hearing that there's a void and that's not how things work. There's not just voids that people don't rush to fill. <laughs> this idea right. that everything just remains decentralized and we're all mutualistically like I, I have it's a more positive libertarian voluntarism. Yeah, it is a libertarian hellscape. I have a more positive view of human nature than most people, perhaps naively and foolishly. So, however, I'm not leaving my fate up to random. <laughs> like, obviously there has to be some kind of democratic means to control things. And that's why, that's why everybody is like can understand and kind of buy into the idea of worker ownership. There's a, invested community that has a reason to want to make this work for for the people they have they have a state the literal stake in the game and figuring out what that looks like on bigger and bigger and bigger scales seems to me to be the project but that's at bigger scales that's not that's not we'll just let i don't know we'll just like healthcare will just materialize like i just yeah magical thinking what? yes I, well, I like liberalism for the healthcare, and as far as the so the worker ownership, you just take it out from the un, the boot heel of taxation and, and even some regulation. If you're like, if you have one worker, one share, no taxes, and the regulations are a lot lighter, and and for the for the rest, because you can't, because I don't like the idea of making it a law that that's the only way businesses can work. There's a, Andrew Young has made a, a several good points about how you quantify work. He's got a, like a, his wife stays at home, takes the kids. Is that work? Is she she's part of a worker owned? It's I'm uh, like very mother amused union. by that you keep making Andrew Yang into Andrew. I, Yang. Me too. I'm as surprised <laughs> as anybody that I keep bringing up Andrew Yang. But I it was no he's no not, no. He, you keep, two, I keep hearing Andrew Young, Young? Y O U N G. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, did I say that or I'm, did somebody else? Yes. Say that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, Yang Who, gang. Yeah, I know who you mean, but at first, isn't Andrew Young like an old NAACP president or something like that? I'm just, I'm just, I, amused. I don't know. I'm just amused by it. Anyway, look, Jonathan's, I have to, we're already 13 minutes over, and I really did want to get to some other people in the queue. Um, yes, of course. So I pleasure, Jonathan, Bree. Both of you, and I think this was a useful way to get get you guys in here in a more economical way. I have no objection. Uh, keep the faith. Keep the faith. It's been friends. fun. It's been fun. All right, Captain, you're up. What's on your mind? Hey, how you doing, Bree? 
I'm doing well, thanks. What you thinking about? Good, you can hear me. Uh, I wanted to take the conversation back to crypto. Uh, as someone who's sure. been in uh, Silicon Valley for well over a decade now, I feel so vindicated that everyone's realizing that crypto is just a bunch of horse shit. Mm. And <laughs> I wanted to say, like, I, I, I think I only remember one other episode where you covered crypto, but to echo what the other Jonathan said, you're kind of perfect for covering crypto because you don't get lost in the technical details because you don't understand them. And you ask rather basic <laughs> questions like, what the fuck does pegged to the dollar mean? Why is that like, how does that work? And they don't have answers for that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. So um, I kind of want to see a world where you were interviewing Sam Bankman fried and you could say things like, well, how do I know you're a billionaire? You know, mm. Bitcoin's at $10,000, but that doesn't mean that you can sell as many Bitcoins as you want for $10,000. The moment mm -hmm. you start unloading more than two or three of them, that price sky, uh, plummets and suddenly you're not a billionaire anymore. So um, doing things like that. And then you could also do a lot of great questions on effective altruism. When he says he wants to do pande pandemic preparedness, you could say, okay, so are you supporting universal healthcare mm -hmm. like they have in most of Europe? Mm -hmm. uh, you're not doing that. How about you cancel the, how about you, you can buy student debt at pennies on the dollar. Why don't you cancel all the student debt of the doctors and mm -hmm. say they need to do some research on X. Mm -hmm. I really would love to see you as a crypto reporter, just because like you don't well, understand a, it and you ask important questions instead. Apparently he's giving every, everybody interviews. So maybe it is worth just figuring out. Maybe, maybe I should ask Teddy. Uh, he's interviewed him a bunch of times before. Maybe he has a contact. He'd be willing to share, and let's see if we can get Sam Bankman freed on the pod. Uh, yeah, it would be glorious. But um, yeah, so I had I had some family members who were super excited about crypto in the early days, and uh, some of them had some money that they were throwing around. And I'm like, uh, y'all are you don't see that these are bad people, and if they're if they succeed at their goals, the world will be a worse place. Um, What's what for you? I mean, as someone who's like in the arena, do you have people like colleagues and coworkers who are also caught up in it? And why don't they see it the way that you see it? Uh, I do not have colleagues, uh, okay. mostly because, um, you know, I'm not a developer. I work a lot with them, but they tend to be, uh, younger, if they were into crypto, they probably wouldn't tell me because I'm not really their boss, but they do have to answer to me. Mm -hmm. So, um, but uh, for family members, like one in particular, she gets super excited about ideas that'll change the world. She got excited about Uber. She got excited about Facebook. She doesn't see the downsides. And um, I think what the missing piece of that is a lot of people, especially in Silicon Valley with lots of money, don't really have good critical thinking skills. So, oh, no. <laughs> so like oh, uh, this no. person is related to me. I'm hoping, I'm hoping this doesn't come out that I'm saying this about her, but uh, yeah, she's, she was so excited about the idea of doing things and moving fast and breaking things, which was a Silicon Valley uh, mantra for so long. And I, I finally sat her down and like, why are you so excited about, Bitcoin. She's like, well, it's a, it's a new way of moving money. And I'm like, you are in banking. You know that we can move money electronically. There is no cash 
uh, equivalent for the, the number on your bank account. And you don't have a government demanding taxes in it, so you can't have, uh, it can't be a real money. And then she would say, well, it's new world. We can, uh, we can have money without government now. And I'm just like, oh God, you're, you're never going to get it. So, um, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but, but why? Yeah. Okay. So take your, your family member who doesn't necessarily have, you know, issue area expertise. Like I understand mm. individuals getting caught up in whatever I understand, even if I don't agree with it, the allure of like Musk type people who seem to mm -hmm. have big ideas and to be doing moonshots. And like, I understand like kind of spiritually why that's appealing. But I don't understand why all the people like, okay, if I'm a lawyer and mm -hmm. someone comes up with some cockamamie legal scheme or theory, all the other lawyers are constantly writing articles, dragging into pieces because you kind of, you, you get your own sort of clout by demonstrating why someone else's notion is stupid, right? I, like I, there's, there's I actually a lot think of that's like, a perfect example. Yeah, but it, it seems like in the, I, I, I would expect that the people who are in the know would be pointing out critical flaws, but it seems to be the opposite, that all the other kind of Silicon Valley people, they like hype each other up almost as though they like know it's a Ponzi scheme and that they want to <laughs> they want to participate in the fiction of it all because everyone benefits from the rise of these people or something. I, I, what's going on right. there? There's two pieces to it. Uh, you, you bring up lawyers. So let's start, let's skim the surface of NFTs. NFTs, an NFT is a non-fungible token. It's something that cannot be replicated. It is unique, even though it's on the internet. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, in theory, in like, and the, the, you can probably hear the air quotes around the word theory. You could develop a system where like, if you wanted to sell copyright to an image, you could say, well, I have to buy an NFT and it's in this database, which is called the blockchain. So if I needed to take it to court, if someone's using it without my permission, well, now we can refer to that and say, oh, it looks like you do actually own the copyright here, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the problem is that Silicon Valley is, has a problem with skipping the middle step. They invented NFTs and they said, okay, now there's a form of digital ownership. They didn't bother to build all the infrastructure to say, okay, well, we need the copyright office to use this as a system of record. Like we need to get local governments to uh, accept this as uh, a deed of ownership for a car or a house or anything. They didn't bother with that. They just went right forward and said, now you can own everything because they want to jump right to making the money and getting the money to come in. And I think a lot of that has to come with um, when you're building a company, it's not so much you need to get uh, revenue coming in quickly. You need to get numbers coming in of something that proves you're worth something, right? Um, with, if you're building a social network, you need lots of users. Mm -hmm. If you need, if you're building Instagram, you need lots of pictures and like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what proves to come over here to call in. <laughs> exactly. You got to kind of prove that you've got traction before you prove that you've got a viable business model. And because interest rates have been low for 25 years and money's basically been free, it kind of works that way. And so these Silicon Valley people, especially those with money, have been trained for decades that this is how it works. That what 
what you need to do is have an idea, build it up, and then hope someone very, very wealthy will buy it from you so you can cash out, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why we get bullshit like crypto. Mm. In that they've they've lost all their skepticism in that, like, is this really solving a problem? Is this making people's lives better? Is this a sustainable business model? All of that is secondary to uh, can it build up enough attention for me to cash out? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I'm I'm hearing that there needs to be more like peer reviewed journals in Silicon Valley. <laughs> like there needs to be some something that vets stuff where people aren't financially implicated Honest, in the critique. <laughs> I I this is a little a little I don't know what's the word. I I think the answer is taxes. Tax the fuck out of these people. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think there should be venture capitalists. I think if you need money for a new business idea, we should have a government office for that. Mm. And you should like, it should be bureaucrats who are paid the same, whether they approve you or deny you, Mm. you know, and don't have a stake in what you're doing. And it's like, the problem is all these people have been hoarding money and they, they see the numbers go up and that's what, that's what gives them their, um, that's what gives them their dopamine. So it doesn't really matter that all of this is worthless because they're powerful enough that they will never have to suffer uh, when things crash. It does feel like there are an awful lot of problems that seem to be invented for then people to solve. Like the, you know, the joke of Elon Musk, like basically inventing the subway. (laughs) He's like, we're going to do cars, but in tubes underground. And people are like that's yeah. the subway. We're gonna we're gonna do giant cars that shrink traffic because many many people can sit on them. And it's like, well, that's just a te- that's just a bus with a Tesla engine. <laughs> you know, like those 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 kinds of things. I mean, it it does feel like I don't know. Well, I think there's thinks, the, they can, there's they can, a piece like, you're missing there. What's that? It's that. Elon Musk doesn't be like being around poor people. So he wants public transit that he doesn't have to sit next to anyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure that is. So of course he invents, he invents a, a car tunnel so that he can skip traffic and uh, also doesn't have to sit on the bus. And like I think crypto is, crypto is a way of, they've invented a new currency and it's a, Elon's another perfect example. He he bought Twitter because he thinks the problem is there's too many woke people uh, right. getting you canceled. And the crypto people think the problem with the U.S. dollar is that we're in danger of hyperinflation because the Fed could print money whenever they want, which is a bit like saying, uh, I don't know, it's a black friend of mine once said this. She said, like, that's like worrying that there's too many black people in Vermont. It's just not a problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, I think the part of the elf effect of altruism conversation that didn't really come out is part of why they keep targeting these weird things that don't, that aren't the root of the problem is because they are, they are the problem, as Taylor Swift has now famously said many times. I'm the problem, it's me. It's like... They they are part of the structural problem, so of course they're not going to see taking themselves out as part of the solution, and so they keep. It's like um, it's like focusing on the idea of, you know, saying saying okay, 
Mosquito nets only cost like 15 cents or whatever they cost per person. Mm-hmm. And nets can solve all of these problems. Oh, my God. Like, I can save the world by buying these nets. Never really starts to ask the question why, if, why there's such wealth inequality that something that costs so little and is so life-saving isn't accessible to so much of the world. Do, do you know what I mean, there's, there's like this little bit of this cognitive, like you're like pouring water into a bucket, not asking why there's a hole in the bottom of the bucket. And then discovering I, that it's you, you're, you're the whole, you're kicking the hole <laughs> at the bottom right. of the bucket. I think you might be giving them a little too much credit because I don't know how much of effective altruism they actually believe, but what little they believe is, is kind of, I have all this money. It's a good thing. I need to convince myself that it's a good thing that I have this money and effective altruism is what they tell themselves to sleep at night because I'm give, I'm making the world better. You're not really, but uh, you know, that will make you feel better about buying a, a house in the Bahamas with your, with your weird polycule. <laughs> I did not want that to be become a mainstream word this way. Oh man. Uh, we didn't even we didn't even get into all of that, and it's probably for the best. Oof. I think, please, like, I'm not poly, but all of my poly friends were like, please don't ever bring that up again. I don't want the world to be introduced to <laughs> our society by this guy. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, look, I appreciate you calling, in, Captain. This was this was fun. I'm glad we got to you. Are you a first time caller? No, I called in once before, but did you change uh, your avatar? Yeah. Okay. You're no, so I'm always clever. been the elephant. Yeah, you're oh, okay. You've always been the elephant. I don't I don't recognize this elephant, but um I'm glad you called in. I'm gonna take Trek and that might be the last one, although I do enjoy talking yeah. to Gary. Because we're well we talked, yeah. yeah, just real quick, we talked about uh protesting about what was it? Um robocalls. Remember? Way back. Anyway, get to the next guy. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> All right. Bye. Uh, thanks, Captain. Keep the faith. All right, Trek. Like Star Trek, or you're just generally on a journey? Uh, there you go. Do you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What's on your mind today? Cool. It doesn't like show. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm about to disagree with everything that last guy said. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I, I, so I, I generally like your takes on, on most stuff. Um, but one thing I do get frustrated with, uh, with the community that I basically believe, that I basically agree with mostly, is I think that billionaires actually get scapegoated as kind of the, the um, root of the problem rather than a symptom of the problem. <clears throat> and um, in your interview today, um, you know, it kind of hit, uh, there was like an uncomfortability with billionaires um, donating to uh, political campaigns. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> sorry, I think that um, sometimes, like if you look at our current system, the option is either people with money donate to campaigns or capital donates to campaigns. So if it's not like a a billionaire that's donating, it's actually like, um, you know, Lockheed Martin or 
you know, ExxonMobil or something else. Um, I don't know. Do you, um, <laughs> do you understand kind of where I'm going with this? I mean, so look, I, I, I don't know. I like, I, I see that there's maybe some use utility to the distinction between you're a symptom of the problem or you are the problem. Like, I think, I don't know. I don't know how much of it matters at the end of the day. You have some non-representative, non-democratic people or institutions <coughs> that have an outsized impact impact on essentially democratic outcomes on, on, on the government and on what kind of policies get pursued and both are a problem. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that we focus more on billionaires than we do super PACs, for instance. I think that we probably focus much more on the latter, but that doesn't mean that billionaires aren't also part of the problem, especially because I do think there's something especially pernicious about the so-called altruistic endeavors of billionaires that generally in the mainstream don't get the same level of scrutiny as a political pact with the clear agenda does. And I think there is something very insidious about Sam Bakeman Fried admitting, like he fully admits that his game is not left or right, but in skewing the primaries that no matter happens, his agenda is represented. And that's something that our political factions very much try to obscure. And they get us to pick so, a team and we do vote blue no matter who. And we do all of this shit. And, and I think the Sam Bakeman fried example is really illustrative of how it really is about wealth. And there's a big club and none of us are in it. And it's about it is it is a form of fascism when you have these very wealthy people basically being able to write the rules that regulate themselves, and now we've seen what happens as a consequence, and that's a microcosm yeah. of what's going on all over the world. So, I don't know what is your so, what is your I, I argument? Do you think that. we're being too hard hard on billionaires? No, no, it's not that you're being too hard on billionaires, but um, so I, I think that the kind of the crux of what I'm saying is if you if you actually you know, even in using um, uh, Sam uh, Bankman-Fried as an example, he was supporting candidates that were supporting his specific goal. And, you know, if you take him at face value, his goal was actually a, a human interest goal. It was to try to, you know, prevent the next pandemic. And whether or not you agree with his approach to that, um, at least that is something that had a positive um you know, Jessica goal. Cisneros didn't want to prevent doesn't doesn't want to prevent the next pandemic. Henry Quare no, has I mean, some articulated she, she policy might, that's might. better at pre pandemic prevention than Jessica Cisneros. Jessica Cisneros supports Medicare for all. Henry Quare does not. Uh -huh. Henry Quare doesn't even support the right to choose. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, I definitely uh, well, so I definitely agree with that. Like, I mean, if you really wanted to support. Uh, you know, better healthcare across the board, like that would be the starting point, right? Was would like a coherent health system or mm. in the United States that, that, that is available to everybody. But, um, you know, I, I guess what my point is, if you're not, if you look at the way that our system currently works, the two options you have are rich people are donating to uh, causes that they actually feel are important, or you have capital that's in, um, donating to causes that really is not based on any greater good. And a lot of cases is even like self-destructive. You know, um, if you're a company and, and the company is trying to get, um, you know, some law passed or some uh, policy pushed forward, you know, it's, it's for the next quarter's bottom line. 
And, you know, to the extent that our, our, our entire country is driven by that, I feel like it's more dangerous, really, than having people who have at least <laughs> literal skin in the game, um, you know, having some conscious, uh, what do you call it, um, you know, decision, some conscious reason for what they're doing or, or, or what they're actually pushing. Um, now, are all billionaires going to be doing things, like, you know, uh, for for good reasons? Obviously not, right? And you know, there's definitely plenty of people out there who, you know, I feel like should be wiped off the map. Um, you know, hopefully their finances can get taken away so they have no more power. But um, I guess my point is having an actual human face behind uh, people pushing policy in a lot of ways can be better than just the force of capitalism without any actual direction beyond it feeding itself. Um, anyway, so that that anyway, that's so just if, kind if of the, uh -huh. if the argument is like rank billionaires versus political packs, which is better or worse? I might accept an argument that billionaires are better just because the interests of billionaires are more diffuse and political packs are more explicitly geared around agendas that are shared by large numbers of billionaires and the things that large numbers of billionaires have in common that they, and the agenda they want to push is evil. It's just to benefit their economic interests. Yeah. And, and so what I would however, actually argue that, yeah, however, I don't know that that matters because it's uh -huh. a distinction without a difference. Yeah. And at the end I'm, of the I'm day, not, yeah, no, I, I agree with you with the, um, uh, I'd say billionaires versus packs is kind of half dozen to one six the other. I'm, I'm more talking about, uh, individual companies and like all of the money that like companies give to um to candidates and really feed into but that's our the thing. Uh, it's the same the it's the same uh -huh. thing when we're talking about money that sam bankman fried gave some of it he gave mm -hmm. personally some of it his company gave some of it his co-worker um sam salmon simone something like that gave the, who was giving uh -huh. on to the republicans it doesn't matter the money and this is what sam said like some of the money i gave publicly that to get Democrats because I knew that the optics of me giving to Republicans was bad, but I gave both equally to everyone, including giving all this dark money to Republicans because I could, and I wanted whoever won to advance my agenda. To advance his agenda. But the thing is asking like, Oh, is it a company giving versus a person giving? And it's better if a person gives the person gave and he did it for the same yeah. reasons that his company gave that he controlled. And it doesn't make a difference. What I'm saying is, I think it's there's at least there's a coherent goal there. And if you have a bunch of companies, you know, and they're just trying to get, you know, funding in their district for or in one district so that they can open a new plant. Right. And there's no reason for the new fighter plane is going to build or, you know, new whatever that they're what they're doing. You know, that's taking money away from the entire society, being able to actually make decisions that move everyone forward in a coherent way. And, and uh, you know, to the extent that there's people who are trying to push agendas that are, um, you know, ostensibly in the best interest of society, I mean, it's good. But, and, but that's the thing. I really got to uh -huh. stop you there, Trek. Name one thing that Sam Bagman Freed pursued that was in the best interest of society. Because remember, you said per, per, per pandemic prevention. Nothing he did is it all calculated to dollar for dollar actually helping making people healthier, happier, or stopping COVID? It seemed like some weird surveillance tech 
And so well, I think it was more like a surveillance system. I mean, I, I only know based on, you know, the interview that I saw today, I, I was not a big follower of Sam Bakeman Freed specifically. Um, but, you know, the stuff that, that, that they were saying he was doing is more like a long term look at, OK, how do we do a better job of monitoring, you know, uh, the the new pathogens that are coming down the pike, you know, and, and making sure that that you know, we, we can stop it at borders rather than having having it spread around the world in the way that this one did. Um, you know, and, and in the same way that like we have a, a, a worldwide system now for flu shot, right? Where we can kind of look at where the flu is. We can kind of track what the, the, the you know, the, the right one to- I'm sorry, is he, buying, uh-huh. is he buying vaccines to distribute to the, the, the global south? Is, is he like, I'm sorry, like, I, I just, I think you're being a little too credulous. Yeah about what it was that he was actually doing and that whether or not it has a positive benefit. And also, yeah. even if it does have some residual b- positive benefit, how much of it is being done because he really cares about trying to make real improvements and how much of it is PR, which well, per no, his Vox interview, yeah. he admitted no, I, I, so much. He, he fully admitted, I do a lot of this bullshit for PR because yeah. everyone knows no. billionaires, there's a bunch of people who are waiting with pitchforks and, tor- and torches for billionaires when so many people are suffering, yeah, you know, and they wanted no, I, to fuse I, I the totally mob. No, I fully agree with that. Um, but you know, my, the other, the other side of, of, you know, what mm. I would, I mean, actually what I really started with, you know, where they're more of a symptom of the problem. You know, if, if this podcast took off to the point where you are a billionaire tomorrow, you know, would it be easier for you to, um, find ways where you thought you could help people directly or to try to find ways to dismantle the system where you became a billionaire. I kind of feel like even for billionaires, it's hard to see how you can make a more just system. I mean, you've heard Warren Warren Buffett many times talk about how they need to, you know, raise taxes and do all kinds of stuff, but like, it's just not an easy, I don't think it's an easy. I don't think it's easy, but I'll tell you what I wouldn't be doing is putting money behind defeating a wealth tax. Uh, defeating the wealth tax. Yeah. Well, I know it's late. I mean, that's another one I actually have, you know, questions about. I mean, really for me, a lot of that is just the understanding of, of, cause I try to wrap my, my mind around, around, around wealth tax. And, and, and partly this ties into the other conversation, you know, the other part where I was talking about earlier is, you know, if you look at, and I hate to bring up Elon Musk, but like Elon Musk, right? If I use Tesla as an example, if he were forced to pay a wealth tax over the years he's owned Tesla, he would have lost enough control of that company that a lot of decisions that were made about it, you know, there's a world where I see the share, basically as he has to sell shares in order to pay the wealth tax, it's bought by Wall Street. Wall Street also is owned partly by GM. They decide like the best thing to do is for GM and, and Tesla to merge and, you know, really prevent electric cars from even being the thing, you know, and in a lot of ways, capital has its own mind. It's not like one evil nefarious person behind that, that that's making nothing happen and making the status quo just keep on grinding on. But like, unless there's somebody who's specifically trying to push an agenda, you know, it doesn't really happen. And like, you know, Tesla's, um, I forget what their, their, their specific, what the specific wording is, but their, their, um, statement, their, their, um, their, their, their main thrust is to make, you know, um, elect, electric uh, cars or s- sustainable energy, 
you know, to, to make that happen faster. And I, you know, I think you argue that they really have over, you know, over the course of their existence and something that probably wouldn't happen if it were a public or not publicly owned, if it was owned by normal investors and, and really um, the, so the agenda. So I don't know what you're basing that investors. on track because there's been a lot of reporting on how Elon Musk is a bad CEO. He has appropriated much of the ideas that he, many of the ideas that he's gotten credit for from just buying other companies that he has very little personal intellectual contribution to any of this, that his cars are falling apart on the road. They're, they're poorly made. Steering wheels are coming off. Cars are going rogue, ramming into houses, killing pedestrians on the street. Like this is not good. So, okay. Even, well, I'll, I'll even say that all that is, is let's say that's true. I would definitely think, I mean, based on even like it's just stock market performance or, you know, uh, I don't even know what, what actually drove the popularity, but every major car company around the world has like changed their thrust to trying to follow what they're doing. And I don't think that would have happened without that company doing what it does. And definitely right, not. Right, but that why are you attributing that to Elon Musk? And no, I'm attributing it to, presuming... I, what I'm attributing it to, because... I mean, unless it's all propaganda, but from the beginning, that was what he said his, his thrust was, was not to, you know, grind out whatever money they could make out of it, but to, to, to push all the other companies to making electric cars. Because, you know, like I said, if, if it had been, you know, uh, I don't know, <laughs> Bear Stern, whoever the, the main and big investment, you know, people had, had been the people who would own that company, there's a very good chance it would have been stripped apart and sold to, you know, other major automotive uh, companies in order to prevent it from doing what it did, in, you know, in the past. So I, I don't know. Um, that's, anyway, that's my, yeah, look, uh, that was I, my I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know what's in Elon Musk's brain and I'm sure that he has contributed some things to Tesla. I don't know why there's this presumption that him having total control of the company, not other ideas in him, not having, you know, less of an ownership stake is presumed. Well, I don't, would you know, I don't want to make it just about him. You know, like I would say Jeff Bezos and Amazon is probably the same thing too. Like you have these any, guys. Any of them. I don't know yeah. what the presumption yeah. is. The more control some one random person has, the better an organization is going to be because that is never how anything has ever worked in the history of mankind. But Sam, having I a siloing. That, I don't know if that's true. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I, I go way back but like Ford Motor Company. If you actually see what, uh, Ford didn't that was not a perfect person by any <laughs> stretched imagination, but he did uh, the the growth of that company and developing basically the American automotive uh, infrastructure in in like uh, Ford stole ideas from people in yeah. his shop and on the line and appropriated them and, and and didn't give anybody any credit and used them to grow the business all the time. Uh -huh. All of these people did. All of these people did, and we attributed it to some great genius. When people are just appropriating and stealing ideas and one person is not sitting around inventing everything. I feel like there's some uh, maybe apocryphal story about how Ford didn't even really invent the assembly line like that. How, like how what? He didn't even invent the assembly line process in the way that we imagine. Well, I'm sure he didn't so. invent almost any of it. I mean, in, in a way, I, I, I'm, I'm not a real big believer in the idea of people inventing stuff. Uh, you know, <laughs> everything is iterative that, that humans do and it's more of a management problem and, you know, people picking up the right things and deciding that they're going to go one way with something. Um, 
Uh, there's no such thing as like new ideas in a lot of ways in my mind. Um, and I think that like to the extent that we lionize people for their genius, we're, you know, missing out on, on how um, everything's kind of a larger human endeavor. Right. But so then why is, why I'm just confused. Why are you arguing? Like what, what is it that you think, how, how is Elon being limited by the a wealth tax? Why, why would Elon not be able to be, if we all accept that it's not just one man being great and genius and that there are some real limitations to him not listening to other people's advice as we see with the crash and burn of Twitter. And so we, it's not, yeah. Why, it's, it's and the, why, the why is this presumption is, that if he yeah. were taxed on his wealth and perhaps had a slightly <laughs> less ownership to, stake in the company? Yeah, not to go all Kanye on this, but it, it's Hitler getting the trains to run on time is essentially it. Like having one person who can just make stuff happen can be efficient. And in a lot of ways, a lot of the stuff that um, I mean, even, um, you know, if you look at the 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 foundation of our power in the United States, you got like Carnegie developing the steel industry. You've got, um, you know, like I said, Henry Ford building all the infrastructure for for Ford. It, you know, having one person who can push their vision. And I would argue that, that is, none of that happened. Not, all okay. of that is a lie. And so I can't, I can't, I really got to go to bed. I'm so, if, I'm sorry about this trend. I know, it, I know it's there, like, there, right. there is, there are so many books written about how every single one of those people did not have that. That great man theory is bullshit. That's like the entirety of the history of science, or at least the history of technology aspect of the history of science. And I invite you to interrogate that because None of that is true. It's just not true. And I don't have the time in this moment to go through all of that. But I personally have no regrets about what humanity would lose if Elon Musk had to pay a wealth tax. I'm very, very confident that it would be a net benefit for humanity, for right. Elon well, Musk, Carnegie Mellon, and the rest <laughs> of those assholes to have had to pay a wealth tax. <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate you and keep up the good work. Thank you, Trek. I appreciate you calling in. I'm sorry. You guys, no, no. I, I, I'm about to go get six hours of sleep and wake up in the morning and do rising. Um, but I will see you all on Thursday. Whoops. Where's my button? Where's my button? Take care of yourselves. Uh, thank, keep the faith. This has been a great conversation. All of you always have such interesting points. Um, it's great. See you later. Wish I was a lion in the tall grass Wish I had a pilot in a podcast Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass And travel with portable speakers playing bars scats Wish I had a million dollars I wish I had a million albums I wish I had a million problems That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes I wish I found a genie lamp I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man I wish I was a comedian Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land I wish this well had water in it These kids are stealing all my pennies Focused on my wealth You can help me wish But I would rather wish for help It's like, it's like I wish, I wish That every time we love and it feels just like this I wish, I wish That every time we do it it feels just like this I wish, I wish Every time we love and it feels just like this It feels just like this It feels I wish I had a time machine Wish I had a better rhyming scheme 
Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from a lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. Like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we do it, it feels just like this. Like this like. I wish, I wish, and every time we move and it feels just like, like this. Feels just like this. Hey,